Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning back in to the Herfcast. Uh, this episode, I've got a guy named Ben Keen. Ben Keen is a, a dude with some pretty interesting stories. Uh, he's got a medical service dog through Guardian Angel Medical Service Dogs. Uh, the dog's name is Bolt. And if you want to check out Bolt's Facebook page, it's uh, facebook.com slash Bolt the Service Dog. Uh, the Veteran Support Foundation, is, they are the ones that uh, donated the money to get the service dog. And we will talk about the service dog and what it's like to have one and everything that goes with it quite a bit in this episode. I hope you guys uh, are interested in that. Uh, if you want to check out Ben's Instagram, it's at the underscore Ben underscore Keen, K-E-E-N. And uh, consider donating to Guardian Angels Medical Service Dogs. They do great work, uh, and you'll hear about it in this episode, like what it takes to have a service dog and train a service dog, whatnot. Uh, we also talk about uh, his 101st Airborne experience, and he's got quite a quite an awesome story for his first cigar when it comes to that. So um, 101st Airborne first cigar story. It's fun to listen to. I think we had a really good conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. Again, that's Ben Keen, K-E-E-N. And this episode is brought to you by Josh Vale. Josh Vale is some random dude out in Milwaukee that I still have to send a shirt to. Um, but he uh, he's just a random dude that started messaging me and we started talking. Hopefully I can get him in here to the studio sometime soon to record an episode. Uh, he's a supporter on Patreon. And if you'd like to be like Josh and others, you can go to my website, theherfcast.com, click on the Patreon link and go there. Uh, also stogiebird.com. If you want to save $5 on your orders with stogiebird, use the code herfcast. It's cigar of the month club. It's, uh, retail cigars so check that site out stogiebird.com use the code the herfcast so again i hope you guys enjoy the conversation i know i did uh it's right around two hours and 40 minutes somewhere around there so hopefully we keep you interested and let me know what you think at brian at the herfcast.com thanks um you you inspired me to get the uh the gatekeeper from alec bradley so that's what i'm smoking tonight it's a good stick, man. That's a, I picked up three of them for this weekend for the camping trip. I'm like, oh, I'm going camping with Alex Brown. You know, I'm not, it's, it's funny. Cause like, I'm not like a, like, I'm not a brand snob. Like, I don't like, I know some guys that like, oh, I only smoke like Alec Bradley or I only smoke, um, you know, Rocky or whatever, like whatever their brand is. Like me, I, the thing, I, the thing I enjoy a lot about cigars itself is that there's always something different to try, you know, yeah, for like, sure. And, and like, I, I'm not one of those guys like, oh, I, I taste note, you know, I taste, well, you know, honey notes or whatever. Like some, you know, some guys like will go like down that rabbit hole of what they taste in the cigar. I'm like, it's just a good smoke. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, I mean, subtle, like nothing too subtle. Um, I mean, I'll get your, your general like earth, wood, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe some, maybe some weird stuff every now and then, but, uh. That's how I am. No, like, that's recently um, the guy from JSK, Risty. Uh, yeah. He, he always posts all the reviews in his uh, JSK group on Facebook. And the, the latest one that he, that he posted, this guy uh, 
used fried moose dick as a taste descriptor. So you know what it tastes like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so everybody had fun with that. So. Is there something you're not telling us? Yeah. <laughs> Is there some deep dark secret? Um, yeah, I just, I just, you know, I mean, into each his own. Like, like I was, I was talking to Chuck before, and like, and we could talk about this during the podcast. But the one thing that I, I really like about um, cigar smoking itself is like, you know, I've been to bars and shit before, um, but like at cigar lounges, there's, I've yet to meet like a true asshole. Like, there's jerks everywhere you go, right? Let's face it. But like, the judgmental, the the looking down your nose, like th- like that type of crowd doesn't seem to hang out at cigar lounges. Like we're just like, cool, you know, like enjoy your, enjoy your smoke. Like you do you, you know, and that's, yeah, the, one exactly. thing, that's the one thing I really like about the community. Um, you know, real, real fun story, real, real quick story. I'll tell you. Um, so the house I'm buying, I met my mortgage lender a year ago at a cigar lounge in Butler and uh, I was there for the Army Navy game, and um, my buddy, he's a Marine veteran. We always get together for the Army Navy game. That's who I'm going camping with tomorrow. And we were just that Butler cigar bullshitting. And I was talking about, yeah, you know, I really want to buy a house within the next year or so, you know, because I've been living in this apartment now for four years, and I'm kind of over that life. My wife is over that life. And, and Steve overheard us. And Steve's like, well guess what I do for a living? I'm a mortgage lender. And I'm like, no shit. <laughs> so if you think about it, I just bought a house based off of a conversation through a guy that I met while smoking cigars. Yeah. And I, I don't know, you know, I don't know any other community, including the veteran community, even though like, you know, as veterans, we're pretty tight. Um, but I, I've never seen that sort of like action come together in any other community and it was just over some cigars you know like again like like this like i said before like i've never met an asshole at a cigar lounge uh Uh, i've i've probably met one or two at a cigar lounge but you know it's it's very few and far between right now i've seen some idiots Mm -hmm. um (laughs) so we have rib fest here in pittsburgh uh it's typically around this week this time of the year but you know covid yeah um and it's always on the North Shore, right there by Heinz Field, where Burn is, where Rocky has his cigar lounge. Yeah. And my wife and I were down there because she loves her barbecue. She loves her ribs. That little girl can put the shit away. Um, <laughs> but uh, I went to Burn to grab a couple of sticks real quick. And I walked into the humidor, and you could tell this dude was either on his first date or trying to impress this chick. He grabs a leaf by Oscar. Get to see where this is going. Doesn't unwrap it. Yep. Cuts it, lights it, and within maybe five seconds was just on his hands and knees, just his eye. I'm like, bro, <laughs> like that's the rapper, man. Like that's not the like you can just tell like, and like the girl that he was with grabs. I she grabs another. She grabs some other stick, you know, and uh, she just puffs like a champ while yeah. he on the floor i was like i was like man like you just any chance you possibly had of getting that girl's number or getting that girl to go home with you left when you picked up that leaf yeah i mean you know i get it like i don't say i, I won't say i'm a cigar 
aficionado or anything, but like you, you got to know like the basics. Yeah. Like know what type of cut you like, make sure you toast the end, you know, and just enjoy it. Don't sit there and try to be all freaking like, um, you know, Ulysses Grant out there smoking 20 sticks a day when you just start it. Like you can't do that. Or don't grab, don't grab the heavy mild stick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As your no, first stick. That, that reminds me like when, when we were out there in uh, Pittsburgh, uh, actually when we were at uh, Island Gems, um, mm-hmm. uh, Leaf and Leaf and Bean. Yeah. And uh, like there, I think there was three of us all smoking um, Leafs. I can't remember which ones. I don't know if it was by Oscar or by Esteban. Well, all the are, yeah. I was going to say, um, there's a couple of them out there. But uh, somebody mentioned like, oh yeah, you know, you, you could, you could smoke through the band on these. You can. And it's like, all right, it's, it's feasible, you know, look, looked all right. And a couple of us tried it and it's like, yeah, it doesn't really do anything for the cigar positive. Like I, I, I wouldn't recommend doing that. It doesn't, but like it, you know, it is, it, the band's made out of tobacco. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's one of those things. And, and that's one of the issues I have with cigars is sometimes depending on the brand uh, or not even on the brand, but just dep- I guess depending on how the cigar is kept or whatever, like I'll go to pop the band off and uh, you know, like I'll lose a little bit of the, the wrapper, you know, or something, you know, like, I, I don't know. It's always, I always personally, I, I just try to slip mine off. Like if I can slip it off, great. If not, then I'll rip it off. But you know, that's, that's the thing about cigars. You like, they treat you as well as you treat it. Yeah. You know? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if you're one of these guys, but I, I always look at the people that when they're done, they take that cigar and go, blam, right into the ashtray. I'm like, what's yeah. that stick do to you, man? Yeah, exactly. You got to like, let it, you got to let, let it die it, with dignity. Let it die, man. Like, let yeah. it go, man. Don't, don't sit there and smash. I mean, there's a yeah. guy, there's a guy at, at, at Cigaro. He's a smasher. As soon as he's done, man, just blam. Yeah. He's also one of those guys that will, will smoke it down to like the last one third. And that's when he's done yeah like he still has like, like a good chunk of the stick left yeah yeah and he's like i'm done. I'm like bro like you just threw away like five six bucks yeah <laughs> you know like, <laughs> but all right so uh tonight i've got ben keen with me um and you've got quite the uh history behind you so far uh 101st airborne Uh, you train service dogs and, uh, Chuck gave me a couple of points to, uh, to ask about, but, uh, we'll get into that later. So I guess, uh, I guess to start, like, I I know you mentioned, uh, you met your real or their mortgage broker a year ago over cigars, but how long have you been smoking cigars? Uh, well, correction, one, one correction. I don't train service dogs. I'm a recipient of a service dog. Um, but I don't necessarily, I, I didn't train her. So that's one correction there. Oh, okay. Um, but it's all good. Um, so I would say that I really started getting back into cigars about two years ago. Um, you know, like having more than just one, like every so often, you know, like before that it was like, oh, so-and-so had a baby, let's have a cigar or whatever, the special occasion, let's have a cigar. Now it's like, hey, it's Tuesday let's have a cigar. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I just found myself getting back into them um, slowly, but surely. Um, and I just really have enjoyed the, 
camaraderie that comes around having the cigar because for a lot of veterans, um, especially those of us that have been through war, and even those that haven't, the one thing that we lose a lot once we transition out of the service is that camaraderie, you know, like you spend four, five, six, eight, twenty 20 years in a group where you literally do everything together, you know, and the possibility of at times, like my life is in your hands and vice versa. Um, when you get out in the civilian sector, it's, it's not like that. You know, you have your coworkers and they help you, but it's not the same. Like it's not, a coworker relationship that veterans have. Um, more of a brotherhood. It, it's more like when we say it's a brother sisterhood, it truly is a brother and sisterhood. Um, and, and I find that a lot around cigars because typically, you know, typically cigar smokers seem to be somewhat of the same mindset. We're, we're pretty much laid back, chill, relaxing. We, we go, we go to enjoy the stick, not to start a fight or, you know, some of the other crowds you might see in, in other places. We're just there to enjoy the experience. Um, and I really enjoy that about cigar smoking. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I mean, we talked a little bit about it earlier about just the, uh, being able to walk in, you're not going to find any assholes and just, you know, have a conversation with just about anybody in the shop. So, yeah. uh, but it's nice, it's nice having that common ground, um, you know, even, you know, whether it be at work or just in passing, walking down the street, like, oh, hey, what are you smoking? You know, yeah. um, and, you know, there's, there's been a couple of, a couple of people that I still talk to that started over that. So, um, you know, yeah, that's, that's definitely one of the, one of the best things about the cigar culture. Um, but so I, I misunderstood Chuck. I, I thought that you trained dogs, but no. Um, so you, you are a, re, a recipient, mm-hmm. um, and that's, uh, guardian angels, medical service dogs. Yeah. So there's an organization. It's a, it's a 501c3. Um, they're called guardian angels, medical service dogs. They're headquartered in Williston, Florida. They've been around for about 10 years now, actually 10 years exactly. Cause it's their 10 year anniversary. Um, <laughs> and, Carol, the woman that started the organization, um, she's a former dog trainer. Um, and like she would, she would do comp- like dog competitions and things like that. Um, and about 10 years ago or so, she found, she found the positive that comes out of service animals. Now, these service animals are um, given to veterans, first responders, and, and other people that can benefit from these animals um, thanks uh, to the, the, the donations of organizations and individuals who cover the cost of the dog. Um, the dog is bred by guardians and lives in Florida for two years. And the final cost comes to about $25,000 a dog. Yeah. Um, thankfully, again, through the awesome donors to the organizations and the organizations that support guardian angels, the dog is then given to the recipient at a minimal cost. And when I say a minimal cost, I mean, like, I didn't have to pay $25,000, but now like all her vet bills, all her food, you know, everything that now is on me. Yeah. You know? And then, uh, of course, like the expense of living in Florida for two weeks, like they flew me down there and gave me a rental car, but like all my food and everything else was on me. Um, 
I was lucky enough to have the resources to fly my wife down with me. And, you know, so um, we flew down for two weeks um, and I waited about a year to do that because um, it takes about a year to go through the process of filling out paperwork and getting the right dog because they work really hard to pair the, the dogs together. Uh, in fact, I was talking to them today um, because my one year anniversary of being paired is coming up next week. And uh, I told him, I said, I don't know what your formula is to match dog to, to handler, but in my case, my service dog, Bolt, is perfect for me. Like her temperament, her demeanor, like everything about her, it's like me in fur, for, fur form with four legs. Um, oh, so do they, do they pair before you meet or do you go down there and you meet a handful of dogs and see who gets along with who it's it's all done prior so it's a little bit of it's a little bit of both per se like we you don't necessarily go down and meet all the dogs what what happens is there's a through the year process of going through the application they get to know you they talk to you about what your ailments are and then they start looking at the dogs that are best suited for your situation um so like for example uh, because of my job i'm in public a lot um, I'm in typically outside of the pandemic. I'm around crowds a lot. I fly a lot. Um, so they were looking for a dog that can handle that. Um, Cause you know, I mean, as stressful as traveling is for humans, it is for the animal too. So they work really hard to pair them up. Now, while you're down there, if there's some issues, which happens, right? Cause it's not a perfect science. Then they start working with that uh, person to find a, a, a good fit because again not every dog you know on paper it looks like a great match right it's almost like dating on paper she's you know she's a 10 out of 10 you meet her at the coffee shop and she's like oh maybe not you know so <laughs> um but that's how they work you know and, and it's really again it the process is just secret sauce i guess that's a good way of putting it like there's no exact science to it but it just works that's interesting. So, uh, what kind of dog did you end up getting? So, I have a female blue bicolor German Shepherd. Um, her name is Bolt. Uh, if you look at her, she her I say blue bicolor because if you look at her, she looks black, but in sunlight, her fur is actually blue tinted. Oh wow! Um, didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that was a thing until I met her. Uh, and the trainers came and go said, you know, you got a really special dog. I'm like, yeah, I do. And they're like, no, no, no. You got a really special dog because you're, we have very few blues down here. Um, so uh, she's three years old now. She just turned three at the end of March. And like I said, we've been paired now for, we got paired officially September 27th of 2019. So here in a few days, we'll have our pariversary. Um, you know, she helps, and she helps me out. Uh, I have no shame in admitting I got, I got the whole alphabet soup coming out of war. Um, I got the PTSD and all that fun stuff. Um, as long, and as well as some physical elements um, coming out of combat. Um, and she's trained to help respond to those things. You know, one example I give people, uh, shortly after I got her, I was at the office. I was at, I was at work um, back when we actually could, you know, go into the office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I was just, you know, I, I had to go, I, I was getting up to go to the coffee machine or fa pick, pick up something from the printer, something. I was getting up on my chair, regardless. I was feeling okay. 
Um, and one of my ailments I have is my heart rate is kind of crazy sometimes and it can dip down really low. So on a, on a not so good day, I can pass out on a bad day. Um, I could have a heart attack and then on a really, really bad day, I could technically die. Right. Yeah, like that's, yeah. that's just the, 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 the breath of it all. Anyway, I go to stand up and Bolt was underneath my desk sound asleep. I mean, she was dreaming. I go to stand up next thing I know, I have this 70 pound German shepherd rearing up on her back legs, pushing me into my chair. And then she put her front paw, as I sat, she put her front paws on my thigh and she just sat there like a stone. And at first I didn't, at first I'm like, what the hell's going on? Like, you know, like, again, like the way the dogs are trained, they're trained to react, but the reaction isn't trained, if that makes sense. Um, certain dogs will do certain things to help their human out, right? You got to, it's really cue based. Like I got to learn her. She has to learn me and we kind of work together. And so I'm giving her a command to get down. She wouldn't get down. And the next thing I know, I started feeling dizzy. And I was like, Ooh, Ooh, okay. So I sat there and I just, I just collected myself, you know, and it was about five, 10 minutes. Um, then I started feeling okay again. And as soon as I was feeling okay, she jumped down went back underneath the, underneath the desk and right back to sleep with, without any, cues to get down or Nothing. anything just sensed Nothing. it um the other interesting uh story i have is while we were down there getting going through the pairing process they bought um a team up uh, to talk to us to kind of talk about how your life changes because you know people think oh it'd be so great to take a dog everywhere i go let me tell you <laughs> no no it's not it's like having a baby all over again um but he was sitting there talking to us and his dog was just whimpering, like chattering a lot. And he stopped his conversation. He goes, man, it, kind of one of her alerts starts petting her to calm her down. And then the next day we got a call that he went right from talking to us to the ER and passed kidney stones. Oh, wow. So that's why, you know, and that's one of the things that we try to tell people you know, when you see a service dog and you see like the don't pet, the don't, the don't pet there is for a reason. Yeah. If you distract Bolt from having her attention on me, um, you know, and I have an episode in the, in the most extreme of things, you could result my death, right? Yeah. Like, like if we want to go to that extreme, like that's, that's the extreme of what could really happen. So, you know, we, we, when we talk to people and, you know, it happens all the time. People, oh, can I pet your dog? No, you know, you know, regardless of how many patches say stop, don't look at me, don't touch, you know, people still want to pet and touch a dog because we're humans and we love dogs. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that people just kind of take for granted, you know, and, and it's also a reason why we try to educate people between the difference between a service dog like Bolt and then an emotional support animal or an ESA. Um, the biggest difference uh, when it comes down to it is an ESA is there strictly for emotional support. Now, if you can benefit from that type of animal where you don't necessarily need the medical assistance that a dog like Bolt can bring, more power to you. But that dog isn't governed or protected underneath the American Disabilities Act like Bolt is. Bolt's allowed to go to places because of the American Disability Act and because she's trained. But I'm, I still have to follow rules. Like if we go to a restaurant or we go to a cigar lounge, right? Let's, let's keep it on cigars. Go to a cigar lounge 
and I can't bring, and Bolt starts going crazy for whatever, barking, whatever, right? If I can't bring her back down to what I call zero or like calm level, by all means, whoever owns that coffee shop or the cigar lounge can ask me to leave. Yeah. Now, I cannot be denied entry because of her. But, you know, again, if she's acting up or if she's putting the business or the other, uh, other customers or the product at risk, then, yeah, they can ask me to leave. With an ESA, if the store allows animals, um, you know, like hardware stores are infamous for allowing animals in, in the stores. Yeah. An ESA can go in there, but an ESA can't then go into the cigar lounge or a place to eat. Um, and, and it really, and, and some people, you know, they'll say, oh, this is my service dog. Yeah. But when you see us in public and you see any of the teams from Guardians or any other well-established training program, as my cat is walking across my computer, <laughs> there's my cat. I've seen him peeking up in the, in the <laughs> background a couple minutes ago. This is, this is General Meow. Yeah. Um, get your butt out of my face. <laughs> oh, cats. Anyway, um, what was I saying? Oh, but when you see these dogs that have been trained through these other organizations, you can notice a difference. Like when we go to a restaurant, I tell Bolt under and she tucks herself under the table and she'll sit and she won't make a peep. Um, I was at a restaurant one time and this woman had a service dog who was japping. <laughs> who was trying to eat off the table, who was begging for food. Like the closest thing to Bolt's ha that Bolt has had to human food is the little treats I make for her that are made out of peanut butter. Um, she knows I'm saying it. She just came over here. Um, but, you know, that's, that's it. Like she never, she never has human food. So like she doesn't have that drive to beg for food. So you can really see a chain. Like when you look at a, like a, a true service dog, compared to somebody who might just go on to Amazon and spend 70 bucks, get a vest, put some patches on it, throw it on their, I don't know, yap doodle or whatever and say, this is now my service dog. But you see that dog, you see how it acts in public, you know, like bolt doesn't necessarily look for it. She doesn't look for attention from people. Like, and people misconstrued her behavior as she's looking for attention. Cause what she'll do is like, if we go to a mall, for example, She'll look around, she'll scan, right? And what she's doing is to make sure that no one's getting in my space. And she'll warn me if somebody does. But of course, people see her looking around and think, oh, she's looking for attention. No, she's making sure that you keep away from me. Yeah. Like, I was doing this whole social distancing thing before social distance was cool, right? Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, these non-trained server, you know, these non-trained um, dogs, um, you know, they're yapping, they're barking at other dogs, you know, like, and don't get me wrong, like, at the end of the day, Bolt is a three-year-old dog. When her vest is off like it is right now, she plays with her toy, you know, she, she is a 70-pound lap dog. But she still, like, I've only heard her bark, I think, seven times in a year, this year, you know, yeah. like, all those typical dog behaviors um, are curtailed. So we really work with the community and, and you know, people like you, um, who allow us an outlet to, to educate people. You know, the one thing I'll tell anyone that's listening to the podcast now, you know, if you're really interested uh, in Guardians or whatever, uh, shameless plug here, 
um, Google Guardian Angels Medical Service Dogs on uh, online. There's the website. There's a Facebook page, um, Instagram. You know, it's a 501c3, so they're social media out. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, put a, I'll put a link for the website in the in the awesome. Notes. So. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people can look there and it, you know, if, if any listener, um, knows a veteran or first responder or not, uh, anyone, you know, you don't have to be a veteran or a first responder to receive one of these dogs. Um, you know, we have one of our dogs last year was awarded, um, I want to say it was the American Council Society. I might be wrong in that. Anyway, one of our dogs received a national award for being the service dog of the year. Um, and beat out a couple hundred people. And it's, it's like one of those voting things. Like, you know, you post this website and the, the dog with the most clicks goes on to the next okay. round. All right. Well, her, her handler is a teenage boy um, who was shot in the head and uh, spent some time, um, you know, in a coma and recovering from that. And obviously has some physical ailments now uh, as a result of the gunshot to the head. But through his service dog, he is back in school. He's doing uh, really well, you know, but like, he's not a vet. He's not a first responder. Obviously, he's, he's still in high school. <laughs> You've got to be 18 <laughs> to enlist, right? Um, but no, so, I mean, the program is open to anybody um, that, that might benefit from it. And like, you know, for, for veterans out there, the one thing I will tell you is the one difference that I've seen a lot with have since having bolt in myself um is bolt allows me the opportunity to do things that i once wouldn't do um a prime example is going grocery shopping right people think grocery shopping what's so bad about grocery shopping what's bad about grocery shopping is people going through up and down the aisles and jutting out of nowhere and you know like like it it's a trigger right like it's one of my ptsd triggers um there were times, there was one time, I, I'll, I'll never, I can't forget this. Um, I was in a grocery store and I was doing my month-long month, my, uh, month shopping, right? And I don't remember exactly what happened. It's like this woman came out of nowhere, startled me, and it just triggered me. And I literally left my cart full of groceries in the middle of the aisle and left the store. Yeah. Um, you know, before I had Bolt, if my if my wife and I needed something, I I was good. Like if she's like, oh, I need a gallon of milk. All right, I can do that. I can run in real quick because a lot of grocery stores, you know, they have the milk at the front, so I don't even gotta go yeah. to the store that far. Now, she can give me a grocery list, and I can get through that shopping experience. You know, and it really kind of opened that door for me. Um, it's given my wife the sense of of security, knowing that when I travel, if I'm alone. I have Bolt. So if something does happen to me, Bolt will react. You know, I, I tell my, I told my coworkers, if you ever see Bolt dragging her leash without me on the other end of it, please look down on the ground because I could be on the ground. Yeah, yeah. And uh, another funny work story with her is shortly uh, in November, I was T-boned in a car accident. I was okay, but the car got, the car was totaled. But I was at work this one day and you know, I was laser focused on getting my insurance squared away and getting, you know, I had to get a new car and all this other fun stuff. And the car dealer called me. I wasn't even thinking. I just got, I grabbed my cell phone. I got away from my desk and I walked to a conference room. So I got to take this call. Well, our conference rooms are glass walled, right? So you can see it. You can see out of them. 
totally forgot to grab Bolt's leash. I just go to this conference room and I walk past another meeting. A few seconds later, everyone in that meeting came out because they saw Bolt dragging her leash. And we're immediately like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with Ben? You know, and I'm like, I am so, so sorry. I am okay. Um, but it, it, and it's funny now, um, out of the cigar lounge that I go to, uh, Chicago, um, here in Pittsburgh, we're, I'm a locker member, right? And uh, so when I got the locker, they were like, hey, what, what, what do you want to label the locker? I should put whatever you want. And I was like, Ben and Bolt. Because people know that I'm the guy with the dog, right? Yeah, yeah. And now it's really funny. If, 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 uh, if a new customer comes into the lounge while we're there and says, oh, dog, I want to put the dog. Everybody that's like all the, all the, like the, the normal crowd, like the, 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 the other locker members of the regulars are like, please don't touch that dog. <laughs> like <laughs> they know, you know, and it's just, again, it's, it's that commodity that the, the, the cigar community has. It's like, look, we just look out for each other. Oh yeah. Good, bad, or indifferent. You know I mean? Like whether you're buying a house, having a baby, you know, going through a divorce, losing your job, you know, whatever it is, I have yet to see somebody in the community act negatively to somebody going through something. You know? Yeah. Like, well, that's actually uh, when my, uh, my first marriage, uh, when I kicked my wife out, uh, beginning of divorce, um, I had a locker at the, the lounge by me. And that's one of the first things that I did was I, you know, when I, when I kicked her out, I grabbed the TV, my cigars and a couple other important things. And, uh, one of the first things I did was I went to the lounge and I asked, uh, I asked the owner, I was like, Hey, I obviously I didn't buy these here. And, you know, most of them I didn't buy here, but can I keep them in my locker? You know, I just right. kicked my wife out. I don't want to, I don't want to give them these are the valuables. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, um, so, uh, a couple of questions. I didn't want to interrupt you while you were, no, while you're doing a talking, but, uh, so when it came to naming bolt, uh, did you get to name him or her, or did they have no, a name previously? Um, so how Guardian Angels works, um, when it, I, well, let me back up. Yes and no. So I'm also on the board of directors for a couple organizations, uh, both locally here in Pittsburgh as well as nationally. Um, the one national organization I'm part of um, helps raise money for different veteran programs uh, to include Guardian Angels. And when you donate the $25,000, your thank you is you get to name a dog. I mean, you just gave over $25,000. Like, yeah, yeah. And so the national organization I work with, um, we sponsored one dog, um, which was Flash is our first dog. And Flash has teamed up with a female in the Navy, active duty Navy. Um, last I heard, she's on a boat somewhere um, in the Middle East. And so is Flash on the boat serving in the Navy. Wow. And then we did it again. And when, when, when we as the organizations uh, got the call to name the dog, we were kind of like, well, we have Bolt or we have Flash. Why not Bolt? Like Flash of Lightning, Bolt of Thunder, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's how she got the name. Um, but, but typically the dogs are given, again, the dogs are born and raised down there. Um, and the different organizations name the dogs. Um, PNC bank is a very big backer of guardian angels. And we're really appreciative of their ongoing support. Um, 
But one of the cool things they do is every so often on social media, they'll have like a help us name this dog. Okay. Thing. Um, or there's a, there's a restaurant chain out here called Eaton Park. Uh, again, another big uh, sponsor. And they've done things in a restaurant to help come up with names of these animals. Um, and, and some of them, you know, some of them are very military centric. Like, you know, you got Sarge and, you know, you got some of the, like the typical military names. Uh, but then you have like Bolt or um, a good example of an army name is Bolt's mother is actually paired to a veteran, a female veteran here in Pittsburgh. Bolt's mother's name is Reveille. You know, the song they play to wake you up before they run you to death. Uh, I gotcha. So, um, but it's really cool because, again, before the pandemic, we could get together. Like, this, that veteran and I can get, could get together and Bolt could see her mom. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, Bolt's dad is still down in Florida, to my understanding. Um, he's a big boy. He was on like 80, 85 pounds. He's a big yeah. dog. Um, but no, yeah. So, you don't necessarily get the name of the dog. You don't get to pick the dog. Like, you can't say, oh, I, wanna, I want a black German Shepherd. You know, and, and, and it's funny because the one thing I tell people that ask me, oh, can I pick my dog? You're not necessarily picking it, it. You know, getting these dogs is different than going to your local shelter and rescuing an animal. Yeah. You know, these dogs are classified under the American Disabilities Act as a medical equipment. It's no different than like a pair of crutches or a walker. The only difference is she has fur and a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when veterans ask me about the program or express interest, the first thing I tell them is, you know, let them, let guardians pick your dog because they're the experts. They've been doing this stuff for 10 years. Um, they, and, and again, they, they work with these dogs seven days a week. They know the ins and outs of these animals. So, yeah, you don't necessarily get the, you don't get the name, you don't get to pick them. Um, the, the one thing is, they have a, a working time of 10 years. They can physically work. And then after 10, they retire. Um, and one of the options they give us when the dog retires is we can keep the dog. Because you figure after 10 years, yeah, you know, the dog only knows you and your family. Um, plus two, like the bond that Bolt and I have now, again, not being separated for the last 360 some days. Um, you know, I can't imagine not having her around. You know, like obviously when the time comes for her to go across the Rainbow Bridge, that's going to be devastating. Yeah. Uh, it's devastating for just a normal pet, right? Yeah. Whether it's a cat or a dog or sometimes fish. People get really weird about fish. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, so we have the option, you know, in, in nine years from now when Bolt retires, we'll have the option to take, take on Bolt. And if I still require the assistance of a service animal, I'm then put at the front of the line for the next pairing and they start working with me to get the next service dog in line. So that's, that's down the road in about nine years or so. Um, we have some dogs that just retired not too long ago and, you know, people are down right now in Florida getting paired up with a dog. So, uh, so when it comes to that, uh, how does, how does a service dog retire if you're still paired with it? Um, that, that's like the it, that's the one question I've been asking, you know, and, and with guardians, again, they've only been around for 10 years. So they're just now going through the first cycle. Of yeah. Retirement. Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing I will tell you is when the, when the vest is off bolt, she knows she's 
like she's always working like she's always keeping an eye on me i mean she's right here right right by my feet right now she knows uh, she's off duty but she's off duty yeah she's yeah she, well she's taking a nap um <laughs> but if, if something would happen to me she would spring up and and you know take action yeah um so that's the one question i asked him like well what happens like like do i do i then have two 70 pound german shepherds jumping at me <laughs> or just one you know um but again that's something that they're really that the trainers are working really hard on um to help us the one cool thing that they do is um not all the trainers are in florida they have some uh roaming trainers uh spread across the country to to help us when we get back home um because you know for those first two weeks it's like training wheels you know the trainers are with you every day those two weeks to kind of help you navigate this different situations but once you go to the airport, training wheels are off. Oh. And so um, Joanne, the local trainer out here, phenomenal woman. I mean, I've called this woman at three o'clock in the morning because I was having issues with Bolt um, during the adjustment phase. And she answered my phone call. Hey, yeah. what's up, Ben? <laughs> oh, sorry to call you at three o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, or even like next Saturday when my wife and I move into our new house, Joanne's going to take Bolt. Um, for me so i don't have to like worry about trying to move boxes and and also make sure bolts okay and everything else um so they have a really good support structure in place and, not, and you know the, the trainers when the dog retires i'm sure will be on tap to kind of help with that transition for both the human and the retiring service dog so i i'm gathering that are all the dogs that they train are they all german shepherds or mostly yeah okay yeah, most of them are the one cool thing they do do and I, and I really like this um they're i know of at least one they are teamed up with uh, one organization in michigan who does sightseeing dogs now that's a whole another level of service animal right like sightseeing yeah. dog is a, a, you know, that that's the service animal people are used to seeing are sightseeing dogs the idea of medical service dog has only been around for about the last 10 15 years but if a dog fails out of the program in Michigan, um, they'll send it down to Florida because it can be a medical service dog. It just can't do the, the sightseeing thing. Yeah. And um, one of the veterans, when I was down there last year getting, getting Bolt, um, she received one of these um, sightseeing, you know, former sightseeing dogs. Um, beautiful black lab named Patton. He's just a big old teddy bear. Um, but they do, you know, that way, because you figure they've already spent at least a year and a half, you know, training in this dog and everything else. It would be a shame to see that dog, that dog's training go to waste. Um, now, if they do have a service dog, um, again, dog, you know, dogs are, are, are creatures as well. Not every, not every dog will, will finish the program or not every dog. Um, if a dog has some um, is like medical issues or something like that, where it might impede its working ability and it can't be paired. Um, there's a program that you can actually adopt these dogs um, as a pet. And what's kind of neat about that is for a lot of these dogs, they've been through the, the training. Like one of my friends, she went and did this. She adopted one of the dogs. Um, her dog has a slight medical issue. I forget exactly what it is, but they don't want to, they want to pair them up to have them serve. And so she kind of has the best of both worlds. She has a pet, but he's also like attentive to her needs. Um, and, and I could only imagine uh, extremely well-trained discipline. Yeah. 
wise. Yeah. Like that's the thing. Like I tell people, like, I don't take any credit for the fact that like, like the one spoil part of this program is like, I don't have to do potty training. I didn't have yeah. to do any of that stuff. Like I don't have to deal with like the messes in the house. Right. Like she came, she came ready to go. Right. Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah. So, but again, like the reinforcement of that behavior is then, on, you know, on us um, as for handlers and stuff. But yeah, they, they pretty much come boxed up, ready to go. <laughs> yeah. So uh, another thing that I, I was going to uh, mention from earlier, I kind of, I kind of sense that uh, we, we have the same feelings when it comes to uh, smaller dogs. Uh, when, when you, when you mentioned the, just the, the, the yappy, yeah, oh, yappy doodles. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, we, we have a Husky and uh, silent dog, you know, like you mentioned, yeah. you, you've heard bolt bark seven or eight times this year and that's Hobbs. He, he'll, he'll talk to us every once in a while. Yep. Like if, if, if he wants something and you know, we're, we're just hanging out, you know, he'll, he'll get up and he'll, he'll start talking to us with his, you know, kind of like half howl yep. uh, speech that he does. And, uh, and as far as like, you know, people food goes and not begging, like Hobbs doesn't get people food either, but yeah. that doesn't stop him from begging at all. You know, like, we'll we'll get him to sit down, but halfway through the meal, you know, he's now not to his fault, but we have a five-year-old son who, uh, you know, every drops. once in a while, yeah, he'll, he'll <laughs> drop. So Hobbs gets excited. So it's not all Hobbs's fault because, you know, he'll, he'll lay there for the most part, but then if he, if he gets a sense that something's about to end up in his, in his domain, you know, he's going to go for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we, we were actually looking at golden retrievers and Huskies uh, when we were deciding to get a dog. Uh, but we made the mistake of getting a husky puppy when our son was only six months old. Mm. So you've got to take care of a six-month-old baby, and <laughs> you've also got this little escape artist ball of lightning uh, <laughs> that was honestly harder to take care of the dog than it was the kid. Yeah. Uh, um and neither of them can talk and tell you exactly what they need, but they need something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So are, do you still, I, you seem pretty actively involved with the program still. Uh, do you do anything other than, um, I mean, for lack of better terms, advertise for them or do you, do you like get involved with any parts of the program at all? Yeah, I, I, I get, um, you know, we're, we're asked to, you know, go speak or do, you know, they'll ask a few of us to go speak and stuff, which again, I don't, I don't like it, it's interesting because being, uh, being a veteran with PTSD, anxiety is one of my things. Like, I don't like crowded spaces. I just, I get really weirded out, but when, but I can engage an audience. I can talk to people, you know, I've been on several news syndicates, I've been published in magazines and whatever else, right? Um, not so much as a yay for me, but you, if my story can help another veteran see that they're not alone in their struggles, that's the win. Yeah. But yeah, they, they asked some of us, like, 
hey, will you go speak? Or, you know, um, one fun thing I've done. So short, shortly, I guess it was shortly before the end of the year, um, right around um, December or so, they had a pairing. Oh no, it was in March. It was during the pandemic. They had a pairing. And one of the, one of the uh, handlers, um, he was an army vet. And I got a call from guardians from the, there's a woman down there. She's like the uh, recipient manager to so or say, right? Like she's our liaison to the organization. Okay. She called me and she goes, Hey, I have this recipient who I think can benefit from talking to you. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I feel bad for him. <laughs> but um, he was having some of the same struggles I was having. Cause like when you get, again, when you get back home and those training wheels are off, you know, if the behavior isn't exactly as you expect, you're like, Oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm effing this up. I'm breaking this dog. And, you know, and I went through that a little bit too. Cause like when we first got home and before Bolt was comfortable in her new surroundings, like she really didn't eat the two cups of food she's supposed to eat every, every meal and think little, you know, little things like that. So she gave me this, this gentleman's number and I texted him and said, Hey, you know, I was told to contact you, you know, give me a call whenever you can. And, you know, he expressed some of the same angst that I was having, you know, just a few months ago before. And uh, so, and now he and I are, are friends, you know, like we're, we, we talk almost, you know, once or twice a week and stuff and check in on each other, check on, you know, how his dog is doing, how Bolt's doing. Um, but we also have like a private group on Facebook where it's only the recipients. Like it's not our spouses. It's not, it's, it's just us. Yeah. Um, where we can just come and say, like, I, I asked a question last week, you know, again, buying this, buying this house next week, I asked the question, how do you cut your grass with a service dog? Right. Cause you know, again, bolts always on me and it's, a, it's those little things you don't think about, you yeah, know, like yeah. how do you, how do you function, you know, in the kitchen, like when you're cooking dinner and you have a 70 pound dog, who's literally at your feet and you're trying to make dinner, you know, and you're opening up ovens and you got all this hot stuff and all these knives or whatever. Um, the group on Facebook, you know, the group on Facebook and stuff, it really allows us a space to say, Hey, I got this question. How do I do this? Or have you done, have you done that? You know, um, I help uh, a lot with first time flyers with their dogs. Cause again, I, I flown. <laughs> it's funny that re- the, the guy I was just talking about just text me right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, not even kidding. That just happened. <laughs> um, but you know, I've flown a lot with bolt um, since getting her. And so we have flying down to a knack. Um, she like we we go through security. This um, now the security at the Pittsburgh airport know who knows who I am. I don't know if that's good or bad, but they know Bolt, and you know like we got the process down. Well, some of the recipients sometimes their first flight ever um, is to Wilson, Florida. So when they got to do it on their own and go through the airport without the help of the trainers you know, again, anxiety and all that stuff starts rearing up. And so I can offer them some help and guidance and stuff to get through 
that because I can just, you know, I share like my experience, say, well, this is what happened at this airport with me. Um, like I point out to people that fly out of Columbus, there's no animal relief area in the Columbus airport. Because not, it, it's not mandated yet that every airport should have a animal relief area. Um, there's also very little grass outside the airport as well. So I don't recommend yeah. the airport. But, you know, it, it's those little things that people are like, well, shoot, what do I, you know, like, do I still feed my dog? Do I give, do I give my dog the water? I'm like, no, like give them ice cubes. You know, the, the ice cube allows them to get water intake, but at a much smaller level that doesn't cause them to have to go to the bathroom when you're 30,000 feet in the air. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and, but then like there's other recipients that have knowledge of how to work with these dogs in other areas. Um, you know, like my office at work isn't necessarily a super compact office. Uh, there's a few hundred employees, but we have teams that, you know, the office is a couple thousand people. And how do you deal with going to like the lunchroom with 500 people? Um, you know, how do you tell your employer I'm getting this dog? Like the one thing I'll give my, my employer credit for is when I notified HR, I didn't tell them, Oh, are you okay with me doing this? I was like, I'm going through this process just so you know, in you know, in a few short months or a year, there's going to be this dog in my life. Um, hundred percent cool with it. All right. Let us know what we can do to help. Um, and then once we got back, you know, Bolt has her own ID badge for the office. Nice. Um, you know, and, and it's just, my employer really went above and beyond to help me get situated. So, you know, when a new recipient is coming out and saying, you know, how do we get around this? It, we really just all get around and help each other. And plus, you know, as a 51C3, we're only as good as our last donation. Um, and out of all the fundraising I do, fundraising for these dogs is some of the easiest because people just see these dogs and like our wallets open. So feel free to give. <laughs> Tax season's coming up again soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, I had a uh, – oh, so my – the last question I can think of as far as that goes, um, you know, earlier you were talking about, you know, like the, the emotional support animals instead of the service dogs. Um, do you have any animosity or do you think that many people abuse that label – uh, you like a, as an excuse to just take their pet somewhere or uh, can, can you tell when, when someone's just abusing it? Like, like you were saying, you know, yeah, the, you the can, yappa doodle at the restaurant. Yeah. You can really tell people, like you can really tell, um, you know, it's no secret. Again, you can go on Amazon. Uh, it costs $70. And if you have prime shipping, it'll be here tomorrow. You can buy a vest for your dog. That's a service dog. Um, there's no federal identification system for service dogs. Um, I carry like a little ID card, but guardians made that on PowerPoint, printed it out and laminated it. Yeah. There's no, like there's no like driver's license type of card. Um, plus in this day and age where, um, you know, people are so quick to pull their phones out and record half of the story and then post it on social yeah. media <laughs> and then it catches wildfire. Um, you know, people are very reserved and questioning them. Um, I, so I, I really like the way that you put that. 
how, how everyone's so quick to pull their phone out and record half of the story. Half of the story, right. Yeah, because yeah, it's never, they never get it from the start. It's always like once the explosion starts, like, well, why, oh, yeah. you know, why, you know, that, that the term Karen, why is Karen flipping out? Well, what you missed before that was this, you know, she did this and now they got, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever it is, or what's the mill version, Chad or whatever they call the mill version. Yeah, uh, I've heard a couple of them. But yeah, it, it's always half the story. Um, and, you know, and, and, and unfortunately in our society, when you challenge somebody, you know, they, you know, their chest all pops out and, you know, it, it just gets, goes downhill real fast. Um, so that's the one thing I do when I, when I talk to, I try to talk to employers as much as I can. Um, like the, the couple that own the, my cigar lounge, you know, they asked me, they're like, what are the laws that surround Bolt? And, uh, you know, I explained like I did earlier, you know, you got to let us in. Um, you cannot force us to eat outside. Um, you know, but in return, if Bolt starts acting up or causing damage or whatever, then yes, you can tell me to leave. Um, and for those of us that have legit service dogs, we're okay with that. It's the people that seem to go on Amazon, buy these vests, throw them on their yapadoodles because they think it's so cool to take their dog everywhere. Yeah. You know, so it, does that, does that piss you off or it does, it does because what, what that causes and, and, and really what I, you know, the message I try to tell people is if someone does that, you are now preventing someone like myself or another recipient of a service animal from doing what they need to do. You're ruining it for the yeah. people that actually need it. Yeah. And, and then, and then the next time we go to an establishment, like say you went and you took your dog to a restaurant for whatever reason. And that restaurant had a bad experience with your animal. If I go to that same restaurant now, immediately and rightfully so their first thoughts be, oh well the last time we had a dog in here this happened yeah the the, the preconceived notions yeah so um that's what i tell people you know yeah i i get it you love your dog um yes it's a you know it's fun to take your dog places and this not the other i get it um not every dog's a jerk just like not every human's a jerk but you got to think bigger picture you know like I have Bolt for a reason and Bolt allows me to do things for a reason. If you take that away from me or from another recipient, you know, you're now impeding my quality of life. And you know, my general rule in life and kind of how I've lived the last 40 years is my general rule in life is don't be a dick. Yeah. You know, like the, the, that whole, you know, treat others as you want to be treated, but take it to the next level. Don't do something to like, I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care who you call God or what, how you identify yourself or whatever. Don't get in my way of living my life and I won't get in the way of you living your life. Yeah. As long as we're not hurt, as long as we're not trying to hurt somebody, who cares? You know, it's like, it's like the cigar lounge, you know, like you go to the cigar lounge and, and some of us that haven't smoked cigars for a while, you know, we kind of stay away from like the Javas or some of like the heavily infused cigars, yeah, right? Like yeah. you see someone like, oh, we're going to ask it. You're like, oh. 
that's so I, many better sticks. One but, one of my one of my friends was just uh, looking for recommendations on Facebook for her boyfriend to get a cigar, yeah, and a bottle of whiskey. I said, all right. I I I stayed off the post and I just sent her a message, uh, you know, a, a direct message, and I was like, first of all what kind of cigars does he smoke? Like, what does he like? She's like, I have no idea. It's like, all right. Uh, what kind of whiskey does he drink? She's like, well, I know he likes that one from the, the Irish fighter. I was like, Oh, proper 12. She's like, yeah. I said, well, he should be pretty easy to please, but you want to stick with Irish whiskey, you know, whatever. But I was like, yeah, you know, do you know if he smokes infused or flavored or anything like that? She's like, I don't know. I said, you know, uh, does acid sound familiar? She's like, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, acid with a blue band on it. It's like, all right, uh, that fine. Look, look for an acid twenty, or get a handful of regular acids. But if you want, if you want to get out of that and get like an actual like good non-infused cigar, then I could have plenty of suggestions for you. You know. Yeah, but what I was getting with that is like, you know, like I'm not going to get in the way of you buying your acid. If yeah. you want to get that asset 20, have fun. Enjoy your smoke, man. Like more, yeah. part, but like I, then in turn, don't get in my way. If I want to get like an Alec Bradley, you know, gatekeeper or, you know, a Romeo Juliet or something like that. Like let me enjoy my cigar and you can enjoy your cigar. And I think, you know, the world would be a lot better place if we all lived like that. You know, the one thing that we had a conversation at the cigar lounge a few weeks ago was, at least in my eyes, a lot of the world's problems could be solved if we just got together over a few good sticks and just talked. You know, we've yeah. had some amazing conversations at the Cigar Lounge, uh, especially over the last few months with the with the racial tensions. And not to get too not to get on a political soapbox, but when when we're having when all the the inequality stuff was really coming up, um, I was I was at the Cigar Lounge. There was five of us. Um, the one gentleman, he was a, uh, he was a first timer. Um, he was in the state. He, he does something for the, on the government level for, um, minority owned businesses. Um, and he was up in the area giving a talk. Um, and he, full disclosure, he was an African, he's an African American male. Um, but a really cool guy. And the five of us just had this amazing conversation. There was no belittling. There was no yelling. There was no racial slurs. There was nothing. It was just the best conversation. And like he would say, he said, "Ask me questions. Like, what do you th like? Like the, the the one question that people were asking me around that time was, how do I feel about these monuments being torn down and the Confederate flag and all this other stuff? And I looked and said, the Confederate flag was the losing branch. You know, yeah, like yeah. they lost. Um. So personally, um, and again, this might, I, I, I'm sorry if this rubs some of your listeners the wrong way, but why are we still displaying a Confederate flag? They lost. You know, it's not like we displayed a flag of all, like we don't fly the British flag. We kicked our butts back in 1770, you know, the 1700s. Uh, well, like, but that's my view. With, with that, I mean, I, you know, I'm kind of the, the, the same perspective, but, and especially as of late, like, you know, the, the heritage over, uh, hate or whatever uh it's like yeah but the heritage was only five years like the right that that, that flag was only in service uh, technically in service for for five years like how 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 important is that five-year heritage compared to 
you know, hundreds of years. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and again, it's just so funny. Again, you know, the cigar community is awesome in the fact that we can actually have those conversations. You it, know? Does, it doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, white, nope. black, purple, uh, you know, uh, third party. It, it doesn't matter. Nope. You know? and, and no matter how uh, involved the conversation gets, everyone still walks away as friends. Like, you know, yeah. I, could, I could sit there and have a conversation with somebody that's just complete opposite views. And I, I personally like that because I get to hear the other side for one uh, and I could change my mind. Um, but that, that's the thing, like in a cigar lounge, like, you know, 99 times out of a hundred, nobody's going to get butthurt over it. Yeah. And, so, and, and most of the time, not only do you walk away with friends, but you walk away with either a good cigar recommendation or you're trading cigars back and forth. Yeah. You know, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> Hey, I got this box of Rocky Patel number sixes. Well, I got this box of this. I got a box of or, that. Or and hey, you're trading. To, to fit the conversation, you go with the uh, the the Mason Dixon line. You know, here right. I'll I'll get I'll give you a north if you give me a south. You know, right? <laughs> Again, it's just it, it it's an awesome community. Um, you know, it, and I think back. So, so you asked me before how long I've been smoking cigars, and I you know I said like the last two years pretty regularly, but before that, um, I'll tell you my 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 one war story. My very first cigar, ever. In my life, that was going to be coming up. So. Oh, should I should I skip ahead? Oh no no no! I, I was okay. I was getting ready to ask about the first cigar. Okay, so my first cigar um, happened in 2003 in Iraq. Um, the 101st Airborne, um, you know, the historic 101st Airborne Band of Brothers, all that fun stuff. Um, we liberated uh, the city of Mosul. Now, this was after fighting from Kuwait through Najaf, Ahla, Baghdad, uh, and then into Mosul. And Mosul, um, for those that aren't familiar with Iraq and the territories, why would you be? Um, <laughs> Iraq is, is in the northern area. Um, you know, they actually, we did wake up one day to, to snow on the ground for about like a half a second, but there was snow. I saw snow in Iraq. Um, but when we took over Saddam's Northern Palace, which, which was his like summer getaway, because the weather difference in Baghdad compared to Mosul, like Baghdad, it was like 140 degrees. Um, Mosul, it was about 110 degrees. And you'd be surprised that 30 degree difference kind of makes a difference. Oh, yeah. Um, but as we liberated Saddam's palace, and the interesting thing about Mosul uh, when it comes to the 101st Airborne, we just got done, like I said, liberating all these other cities. Um, and full transparency, my worst combat was, in, was seen in Najaf. Now, Najaf is a whole other story, but I'll get there in a second. Um, we go to Mosul, and we literally just drove in, you know. But we get to the palace. Um, we call it the Eagle's Nest uh, in honor of the 101st taking over Hitler's um, Eagle's Nest in, during World War II, mainly because there was a big eagle stat stone thing at the of, of yeah. top of the building um and of course we go into the palace and we're clearing it we got to make sure everyone's out uh because when we got there there was a bunch of civilians a bunch of uh we call them third third country nationals or tcns um Ira you know local iraqi iraqis 
in the palace ripping stuff off the wall. Because you got to remember, this dude's living amongst marble and mahogany and like the best of the best. Yeah, yeah. And his people are living in mud huts. Like that's the like that's literally the difference between Saddam and his party and the average Iraqi. Yeah. Well, they're they're in there. They're pulling. I mean, they're pulling chandeliers off the wall, man. Like off the ceiling, pulling these Tiffany crystal chandeliers. What they do with them, I don't know. Um, they ripped down the mahogany um, banisters, and I mean they were they were chipping off all this stuff. Anyway, we're going through the palace. We're clearing it, and we walk downstairs, and we find Saddam's stash of cigars. Oh, really? I'm talking still with the Cuban tariff tags on them. Yeah. Sealed. We all look around each other and we're like, you don't need them. <laughs> so here's the hundred first airborne. We're just divvying them up, you know? So like my first cigar ever, uh, and I, it knocked me back for a loop. Can't lie. It knocked me back for a loop, but came from Saddam's walking humidor. That's, you know? that's, that's crazy. That is a hell of a first cigar. Like how, for how many people could say, I smoked one of Saddam Hussein's cigars I, I also from, took from a, his private stash. I also took a poop on his toilet. But that's <laughs> what, what, was it golden? No, no. no. It, was porcelain. Yeah, it was regular porcelain. It was kind of uh, a downer. But it was my first, you know, use of a real bathroom, not in a, uh, not into a, a big 55-gallon drum. Yeah. About a few that's, months, you know, because, you know, it, it, people have these images of combat, um, from movies and, and other things. Uh, again, and, and cigars are prevalent. You know, I mentioned uh, Ulysses S. Grant before. You know, commanding general during the Civil War, that dude smoked 20 cigars a day. Yeah. From one, he, I don't know if you know the history of it, but there was a picture of him published when he first took over command of him smoking a cigar. And I forget which American cigar company saw that. And for the rest of the war, they sent him cigars. <laughs> every day so you know like here's the commanding general of you know the united states military fighting this fighting confederacy smoking 20 cigars a day and you know obviously that's what ended up taking his life when he when he passed away of cancer but you know cigars are prevalent in the military uh and stuff like that and you know a lot of the images you see whether it's in movies or in, in, in on news are those images but a lot of those images are also covering other images. Um, when we were in Ahla, um, Ahla also goes by the name of Babylon, like the Hanging Gardens of yeah. Babylon. Yeah. Um, the First Brigade, 101st Airborne. We were in, um, we were right outside the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which I got to see in person, which was amazing. Um, and we were guarding what we called MSR Tampa or main supply, main supply route Tampa. Because um, we gave everything, you know, we're Americanizing the names of everything, right? So Because we're just dumb American soldiers. <laughs> and, um, but what was really prudent about that time back in 2003 was it was, it was the first time that Iraqis were allowed to make the pilgrimage to Mecca in Saudi, which is, for those of the uh, those that may not know the Muslim faith, the march to Mecca is huge. Like that's equivalent to a Christian going to like Mount Gethsemane or something like that. Like it, it's like the thing, right? It's the the pilgrimage. The pilgrimage. Yeah. And under Saddam Hussein's rule, they weren't allowed to do that because 
it was Saddam Hussein, dictatorship, tyranny, you know, all that fun stuff. I mean, the dude was nuking his own people. Um, so we were tasked to guard this road. And um, we had embedded um, news agencies with us, just like every other unit. And we had one gentleman from, um, I want to say, if memory serves me right, and I could be wrong, I want to say it was at the BBC or some European broadcast. When, while we were doing this, guarding this road, it was during the major conflict in Baghdad. Like, you know, when you saw the Saddam statue being pulled over by the tank and all that fun stuff. Like, that was happening while we were guarding this road. Um, we just came out of some pretty, some pretty fierce um, combat over the last few days. And for us, it was nice. You know, like, it, it was still combat. Like, we were still getting shot at and bombs were still going off and stuff. But it wasn't as brutal as the fighting in Najaf. Um, and this guy kept going to the colonel saying, I want to get where the action is. I want to get to where the action is. I want to get to where the action is. And the colonel looked at him and said, but why? This news story, what we're doing here is just as newsworthy as what's happening in Baghdad. Um, and I remember talking to the colonel and saying, you know what, sir, you're right. Um, or the other, the other one I tell people is um, shortly after we secured Mazul, um, General Petraeus, David Petraeus, retired um, four-star general, retired CIA director, all that fun stuff. Um, when we got to Mosul, he realized to win the hearts and minds of Iraqis, we had to educate the minds and hearts of Iraqis. And typically, um, I want to say was the average education level of an Iraqi was eighth grade, I think. Don't hold me. To, I know it was not... 12th grade. Yeah. Um, but David Petraeus, um, one of the best officers I ever served with, was like, we need to get these kids back in school. So let's open these schools up. Well, you go to these schools and they're just four walls. Just four. There's nothing. Like they're, they're bombed out. Like either we bombed them or Saddam bombed them or whatever bombed them. And so we set the task to rebuild these schools. And I'll never forget this one day, um, we wrote back to our families of Fort Campbell in a ten, well, Kentucky slash Tennessee. Yeah. Um, and we said, hey, we need, whatever you bought your kids for back to school, we need that times a hundred, send it over. And so one day here we are, the, you know, the, the historic 101st Airborne, you know, these rough, tough army men pack and door the Explorer backpacks with like <laughs> shoes and notebooks and pencils and crayons and all this stuff, right? We loaded up on the trucks and then we were tasked to go to different schools. And um, now I was a communications expert in the military. I provided voice and data to the front. Basically, I was AT&T and BDUs. Yeah. But I was also a convoy gunner because back in 2003, if you could squeeze a trigger and do it accurately... You were in a turret. And um, this particular mission, I, we drove out and I, you know, we got done delivering all the, all the school books and stuff to the kids. And I'm standing in the foyer of the school. Now, before you get in the turret, you put your gloves on, you wrap your face up because sand crossing your face at 55 miles an hour feels like freaking razor blades, right? So you cover up as much exposed skin as possible. So I'm looking like this rag, right, with my, with my weapon and my body armor and all this other stuff. 
And I felt like this tug at the bottom of my BDU blouse. And I looked down and this little girl, man, her eyes were the size of freaking dish, like dish plates. These yeah. huge brown eyes. I just remember these brown eyes so bad. And in very, very little English, she said, thank you. Man, that's the fourth time I cried, I cried in combat. Yeah. <laughs> I got on the radio. I was like, hey, I need to switch out here. I need to collect myself because, again, I'm getting ready to jump in the turret. And the last thing you need is a wet face because then <laughs> sand catches your face. Yeah. Um, you know, and I was talking to some of my buddies who served during Vietnam. And a couple, a couple of these guys I know have gone back to Vietnam since. Um, and they've gone back to some of the same villages they fought in and met, you know, now the, the adults, but the, the kids of the village, you know, not now they're grown adults and everything else. And it gets me to thinking like, how cool would it be to have to one day, and I don't see it being anytime soon, having peace in that side of the world where we can go back there. Cause the question, the question remains in my head, like this girl was probably like eight or nine years old, you know? And I see my daughter, my daughter's, um, going to be 15 next July. Um, but, you know, I think back to like, did this girl make it? You know, did she finish school? What did she, you know, did she live? Yeah. Because, you know, unfortunately for that part of the world, they haven't known peace since the Bible times, right? Like, I mean, that, that, that corner of the world has always been at each other's throats. Um, but, you know, it, it, it leaves me some hope to hope that, the work we did, you know, regardless of what you think about our reasons for being in Iraq. Um, that's what I hold on to, you know, and, and every veteran I think has some sort of same story. You know, like I said, like I said earlier, I, I've been in publications, you know, I've been on many a podcast and stuff like that, telling my story. And it's not about my name, you know, it's more so, my story and the difference between my story and the and another veteran story is just time and place if you go, yeah. I'm, I'm sure if you line up a veteran from every single war dating if you could do it all the way back to like the stone age our stories are the same yeah you know like the conditions might be a little different like there's a huge difference between walking down the street in baghdad and walking through the the um the swamps and the jungles of Vietnam or freezing your butt off in Korea or getting trees blown up in front of you in, in a Europe uh, or sitting in trenches in world war one in France. But the stories are always the same. Um, yeah. And, and it's really interesting because, you know, I think the one community that gets forgotten about a lot when it comes to veterans, unfortunately is our female veterans, you know, um, I was doing a, uh, I was doing an event one time a couple of years ago and I reached out to some of my friends on Facebook and, Hey, I'm doing this event. Please come blah, 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 blah. And this one female reached out to me. And she goes, I can't go to that. I'm like, why you got something going on? Like, I'm sorry, you have another plan. She goes, no, I'm not a combat veteran. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, I never went overseas. And she didn't, she was in the air force. She was in the air force reserves. But she was here in Pittsburgh and part of her job was loading water and food and supplies that were coming over to Iraq. And I looked at her, I said, where do you think the bullets and the food and the water that kept me alive came from? I yeah. wasn't sitting, I wasn't digging through the sand. Um, or like you'll see an event for veterans and you know, 
we always bring a plus one, our wives, our, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, whatever. Um, and I see it happen so often that people assume that the plus one of the female vet is the veteran. And it just, it just irks me, you know, cause yeah. I, I served, you know, I served with some of the best of the best. Um, and I, I count myself blessed to, to have called them brothers and sisters. Um, but a lot of these female vets, they just kind of avoid the community a little bit. And it's really sad because, you know, like we're only as strong as our weakest link, you know? And again, you know, taking it back to cigars, I don't care if you're smoking an acid or if you're smoking like a top shelf Cohiba. Yeah. Right. We're still together. Yeah. Like let's enjoy the time. So, so you did two tours in Iraq and one tour in Afghanistan, correct? And a tour in Kuwait. And a tour in Kuwait. Yep. So, uh, like, were, was Iraq, like, back-to-back, or was there time no. in between? Um, so, two th- so, 9-11 happened. I was in Germany. I was assigned to an air defense artillery unit, um, Patriot missiles. I was doing communications for them. Um, and shortly after 9-11, we found ourselves in Kuwait which for then was Operation Southern Watch, which was part of the fallout of Desert Storm, right? We split, we got the North, the, the north no-fly and the South no-fly. Um, but we went to Kuwait for Operation Southern Watch, but we're told, you know, if something goes off in Afghanistan, be ready to go. Um, I came out of that, then I did a short little stint in Afghanistan, just a few months. That was, eh, that was nothing. Um, hunted Bin Laden for a few weeks um, <laughs> and then uh, when I returned back to Fort Campbell they're like oh you can go back to your, your convent, you know, the unit you're supposed to go to and I did and um, that was right when um, President Bush started issuing his ultimatums to Saddam so then in February of 2003 I found myself sitting in Kuwait with the 101st Airborne, um, getting ready to do the, the liberation. And then I came out of Kuwait uh, after that was a, what, nine months, 10 months, something like that. Um, came out of all that and I got on a reassignment to Korea. Um, got to spend a beautiful 18 months in the wonderful country of Korea, uh, right outside of Seoul. <laughs> so, so what was that like? <laughs> Seoul is like, Okay, so imagine New York City. Imagine like Times Square, but like in the space of like a city block. Yeah. See, that's it, my, my, my cousin has been to Seoul quite a bit, but I've never talked to him about it. So uh, I loved it. I mean, it was, it's so much fun. Um, there's so, again, I'm a history buff and I love the history. You've seen the history over there, um, seeing the difference between how, they communicate the, the Korean conflict to how like the Americans communicate Korean conflict um, compared to like how North Korea doesn't talk about the conflict. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed my time there. Um, did 18 months. Um, my son was actually born while I was there. Um, I didn't get to meet him until he was about four months old. Um, God, so then, that, that, that had to be brutal. Yeah. I mean, it was, it sucked. Um, but again, it's one of those things when you sign that line, you know, like you do what you do, you know, like, 
it wasn't the best of circumstances, but I couldn't get leave. And, you know, I, yeah. I, met, him, I met him four months later and now he's six. Now he's going to be 16. Jeez. Um, yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> um, and then um, after Korea, I got assigned to Fort Huachuca, Arizona, uh, or I call it uh, the big red pimple on God's big white ass. Um, <laughs> there is literally nothing in Saravist, Arizona. And I'm sorry if you're listening from Saravist, Arizona. Oh, more purse to you. Um, tombstone. That's about it. That's all it's out there, man. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I got signed. To, I got assigned to Fort Huachuca. And what was interesting about Fort Huachuca was I was coming up on my eight, or I was getting ready. I got there my at the beginning of my sixth year of service. So like, the idea of reenlisting was coming up and stuff. And then we came on warning orders to go to Iraq in 06. So my first tour in Iraq was 03. My second tour was Iraq in 06. So that's the, the short answer to your yeah. question, to this very long explanation of it. Um, but I found myself sitting back in um, a station in Talil Air Force Base, um, which is in the southern tip of Iraq. The cool thing about there um, is Talil is home to the ziggurat of Ur, which is if I remember correctly, is the oldest standing man-made structure in the world. Really? Yeah, really cool. Um, if you're if you're a follower of if you're um, if you're religious, it's also the city where um, Abraham was. Yeah, Abraham was born. Um, right, right in the shadows of the ziggurat. Um, there's a built. There's a a structure. They say that is his house. Whether whether or not it really is. Who knows? <laughs> um, you know, again, there's so much history in Iraq. Um, and I spent 18 months there. I was there for, um, you know, part of, like, that was right during um, the famous surge that you heard so much about. You know, we were supposed to go there for 12 months. We ended up being there for 18 months. Um, but I remember being in, in Iraq and the reenlistment officer coming up to me like, hey, you know, like, your, your, your re-up is coming up. I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> and I remember having that kind of heart to heart conversation uh, with my now ex-wife. She was my wife back then. Um, and I, you know, I was like, if I do this, you know, I'm doing it for 20. Cause you know, once you hit the, once you hit cross over the 10 year mark, you might, you might, you might, yeah, you might as, you might as well, well finish it out. out. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know, like I said, um, I didn't meet my son until he was four months old. I left for that tour in Iraq in 06, three weeks after my daughter was born. And uh, I was just yeah, like, you so know, I was just like, you know what? It's time. Let me hang this up. You know, my body was all jacked up, still jacked up. Um, you know, it was just time to, to leave that part and, and venture on. So what was, what was harder? Was, was it harder not meeting your son until after he was four months old or leaving your daughter when she was three weeks old. Oh God, if they hear this later on. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, no, it's no, obviously think, like different. I, I it, mean, it is. It's really different. I think honestly, I think leaving was harder because the thing about leaving was, especially going to Iraq, like you don't know if you're coming home. Yeah. You know, like going, like leaving Korea and meeting my son for four months. Like at least I knew I was going to be there for, a little bit like i didn't know i was going to be deploying a year later um 
but I knew I was going home. Leaving my leaving my kids for that last rotation, um, you know, all those thoughts come back in your head. Now, granted, in 2006, the unit I was with was so far in the rear with the gear. Um, you know, we carried weapons, but we didn't really carry ammo. Um, it was very chill, very chill. Very, it was a very nice deployment. I had KFC, Burger King. Uh, I had three hots and a cot, you know? Like, yeah. it, this was like Taj Mahal compared to 2003 when I was peeing in a tube and sleeping on my Humvee and getting shot at every day and blown up and whatever. You know, 2006 was a cake. Um, but, you know, when you're leaving, you don't know that. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, and, um, and even, even if you are in the rear with the gear, there's still that chance, you know, you like know what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, like you could be flying, you could be getting on the plane to fly home. That plane could take off and then an RPG takes out the plane, you know, yeah, and it happens. Yeah. Um, you hear about training missions going sideways here in the States. You know, those service members are training. They're not even in combat and they're, they're, um, they're sadly losing their lives because of training accidents. So yeah, I think leaving was definitely a little bit harder, especially to like, again, I'm sorry, kids, if you ever hear this later on in life. Um, I love both my children, but having a daughter changes your life. I think any man can, uh, that has a daughter can, can uh, empathize with that because, you know, having a boy is one thing. Yeah, I got my boy, you know, yeah. we're going to play baseball together, da, 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 we're going to, men, men. <laughs> And then this little girl comes into your life, right? And you look down at her and you're holding it in your hand and you're like, oh, everything I did to all those other women, all those ex-girlfriends, <laughs> I now have to protect her from that? That's, uh, you know, I'll, like, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get back to you uh, sometime around December 7th when it comes to that. Uh, like I said, my son is five. Well, my son turns five next month, uh, actually a month from yesterday. And uh, we're having a girl this time around. So it's like, you're ready. You know, yeah, but yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're right as far as like, at least as far as I know, you know, all right. Yeah, I got, I got my boy. Now let's hope for a girl. Um, and when it comes to baseball, like my son's first uh, season of T-ball was this year amongst all the COVID shit. So the season was on, it was off, it was on, it was off. Played a few games here, played a few games there. Um, but, uh, and, you know, yeah, that whole excitement of, all right, I get to play catch with my boy, you know, this and that. Right. Uh, yeah, he, he wanted no part of that. Like, unless he was at the game, like, that's it. Like, and he listens to his coaches and all that shit. But when it comes to, all right, no, bud, you got to throw the ball like this or you got to <laughs> like that. And uh, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to play with my monster trucks. It's like, oh. <laughs> God dang it! Yeah. My couch. <laughs> it, it's funny though. I'll never, I'll never forget. You know, um, I tell people it's taken the birth of two kids for me to experience one birthing cycle. Yeah. Because um, you know, I was in, I was in uh, Korea the um, the entire time my ex was pregnant with my son, but I was home for her pregnancy with my daughter. Um, I obviously I missed his birth, but I was home for her birth. Um, I was home from a lot of his firsts, like his first steps, his first words, his, you know, all that fun stuff. But I missed all of hers. Um, I missed his terrible twos, but I hit her terrible two, threes, and fours right square <laughs> in the face. Um, 
you know, and, and it's funny, like, uh, you know, another passion I have outside of cigars is tattooing. Um, I have to, I, I don't tattoo. I get them. Yeah. Um, I, I was, I was going to ask later about what you got on your arms. Oh, I got so much stuff on my arms. Um, but it's funny, like my daughter is already like, Hey daddy, I want to get, you know, tattoos with you. I'm like, all right. When you're 18, we'll go get tattoos, yeah. you know, <laughs> not right now. Not, mm. yep. um, you know, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it's just one of the, it's, it, it's interesting how, and, and you'll, you'll see this uh, when you guys have your chill, when you have your little girl, your whole world just flips, man, like everything. It, and, and again, it's kind of like a cigar, you know, when you, when you find that new cigar, like for some reason, I don't know why, but I've been on this this kick lately of having gatekeepers from Alec Bradley. Like, well, I I just finished mine, and it, you know I I was kind of surprised. Like I I'm usually not that big of a fan of uh, most Alec Bradley stuff. Uh, nor am I. But but uh, that that was a good smoke. Uh, it was a, it's a great smoke. I mean, it's 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 also, it's a, and it's so smooth that draws so well. I mean, it is just an awesome. I, and again, was, I don't know why. That was the but, one thing that stuck out to me was it was a a pretty firm cigar, but. Yeah a real nice draw smooth draw it was yeah. it, it surprised me but you know it's kind of like you know having a girl is kind of like finding that that new cigar you know like the, the cigar you never had before and you're like oh man i just changed like this just changed my whole outlook on cigars <laughs> um you know having a little girl changes your your point of view on because again like your mind will immediately go back to oh man that one time i made fun of that, that girl at high school oh <laughs> you know like someone's gonna do that to my daughter yeah. <laughs> or you know like especially now with my daughter um being in her teenage years you know she's gonna kill me for saying this publicly but i'll do it anyway um so again i work my job, I work for a major um, retail company um, and we sell, you know, so I get discounts on clothes and all that fun stuff. And when it became evident that she needed bras, I'm like, well, I'm just, I'll just go get you some. Like I get a disc, like I will save money, like no big deal. Man, I was cool, calm and collected up until the point she came out of the change room. So it's okay, daddy, I'm good. I'm ready. And we had to get in the line to check out. I cried, you know, like, <laughs> and, and, you know, I think back to like, you know, again, finding that cigar, you know, I think we all might go through those times with cigars where like, again, you get on that one kick, whether it's an Alec Bradley or, you know, whatever, um, you just find out one cigar and that's the cigar you sit with for the week or the, you know, whatever, you know, um, and you just enjoy it. Having my daughter is kind of like that, like, you know, she, she, she and I just get along really well. It's really fun. Um, you know, she, unfortunately she has my attitude sometimes. I think that's karma. My, my son's got mine. Um, apparently he's got my wife's fashion sense because I've never had any fashion sense. And, uh, uh, he got new shoes the other day and told my wife like, Oh, well, I, I got to get this coat because it matches my shoes. And it's like, son of a bitch. You know, <laughs> my kind of kid. <laughs> no, not me. Like I've, uh, I've never had any. Months. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've I've never had any fashion sense at all. But uh, that's I I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll be uh, flopped when 
when my daughter comes along and she'll have her attitude and my fashion sense, which, you know, you know, that, man, that'd be bittersweet. So, hey, it could always be worse, right? Yeah. Yeah. But so being in the 101st airborne, obviously you had to, uh, go airborne. Well, air assault. Air assault. Yeah. So, so what's, what's the, what's the difference from, I guess, lack of better terms, like the, the, okay. as, as not basic as it is, but basic airborne compared to air assault. So air assault, we're smart enough to do it only for 90 feet up with a rope. Yeah. Um, so the air, so obviously the, the 101st airborne, um, the lineage starts back in the thirties. Um, you know, when they were an airborne unit, then, you know, you hear about the guys that jumped in at D minus one day. Um, you see the films and you see the, like, if you saw the H HBO special band of brothers, um, you know, that's easy company 506, which was second battalion 101st. Um, cool story. I got to meet, I actually got to meet uh, major winters when he was still alive. Um, and that was just an all inspiring, humbling experience. I mean, this, he was such an amazing dude. Um, but then um, fast forward to Vietnam and the idea of air cavalry came out. You know, you watched the, you watched the movie. We were, we were, uh, we were soldiers about first calf. Um, air assault takes the two and kind of combines it together. Um, you get a black Hawk or a Chinook or whatever. Um, and you repel down. Um, typically, you know, at school, it's 90 feet. In combat, it was like 10. Um, yeah. And you just fall down a rope. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it's just, you know, when you're 22 years old, and you're like, oh, that sounds awesome. I want to be a man. <laughs> Fast forward, you're 39 years old, getting ready to turn 40 in a month, and you're like, oh, my knee, my back, you know. Yeah. Um, but again, it's one of those things where, yeah, you go to Fort Campbell, at least when I was there in 2002, 2003, um, immediately you started training for air assault school. Um, I don't know if it's still the case now. Um, but yeah, you go to Fort Campbell and your chances of going to air assault school are pretty much locked in. Um, <laughs> and because it, it, again, it's, it's the lineage, it's the history. Um, you know, that's why the 101st and the 82nd, uh, at least again, when I was in, I've been out for so long. I don't, know if it's, I don't think it changed. We wear jump boots with our dress uniforms, you know, so they're the highly shined boots um, with our snazzy little uniforms and all of our ribbons and stuff um, pays homage to major winters and, you know, um, shifty and all those guys that fought back in world war two, you know, um, the motto for the 101st Airborne is a rendezvous with destiny. And it comes from our, the first commanding officer or the first commanding general, the 101st, um, who right before leading into D-Day um, made a, a declaration and said, you know, the 101st Airborne doesn't have a history yet. Cause again, it was a brand new unit, Yeah, but we have a rendezvous with destiny. Um, you know, and then, you know, you look at what the unit did through all of World War II, Vietnam, um, Desert Storm, Afghanistan, Iraq, and, and wherever 
what other shithole we find ourselves in next. Um, uh, the, you know, the history's there. And, and it's quite honestly one of the proudest moments. I mean, I have a tat, you know, one of my tattoos is the 101st patch. Um, stylized. Um, it's kind of neat. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I really pride myself. And the other reason I really pride myself on that is, um, you know, having family that have served you know, and you see these people um, growing up, you know, like my, my dad's dad <clears throat> served in the Marine Corps um, during World War II. And, uh, you know, when you come home and, you know, like my grandfather sees me in my, my uniform, you know, um, I'll never forget, like grandpa never really talked about his time in the service, much like a lot of World War II veterans didn't. Yeah. Um, but when, when I came home from Iraq in 03, I went to visit him. And uh, I remember walking into his little apartment and he goes, sit down, now we can talk. <laughs> you know, and he shared his story. So like having that lineage with the 101st Airborne, you know, and, and being part of something so much bigger than oneself um, is a cool little backdrop. You know, I hope that when, uh, my kids are older um, and they're telling their kids about me. The story isn't, oh, your grandfather is such an asshole. I mean, yeah. they, they still might say that. Like, let's, not, let's not get ourselves crooked here. But, but, but hopefully for different Hopefully reasons. some of that good stuff comes out as well. Yeah. So what is, uh, I mean, I, I personally, I know of the 92nd and the 101st. Uh, I got to visit Fort Bragg when I was... Eight, no, when I was 19, um, and I got to watch uh, an exercise, you know, mm -hmm. watch about 300 guys jump out of the plane. Uh, well, several planes, obviously. But uh, why, why are the 92nd and the 101st synonymous to, if anybody mentions airborne, they think 92nd or 101st? You mean 82nd? Or 82nd, I'm sorry. Sorry. So, well, you're really talking about, like, the first two airborne units. It's been, you know? it's been two decades since I've been there. So <laughs> oh, you're good, man. <laughs> you know, you know, you're really talking about the first two units that are airborne, um, you know, and they're the most recognizable patches, you know, even today um, for service members that get stationed in Europe, my, again, my first duty assignment was in Ansbach, Germany. Um, you know, you go, one of the, one of the coolest experiences I had was going to Normandy actually going to France, going to Normandy um, and just overlooking the, the cliff that was the beachhead and looking down from the position of the Nazis onto the ground of the, the, the three or 400, whatever, how many feet it was from water to land that those kids really had the cross i mean man it was like a you know it was freaking fish in a barrel if the nazis would have been more aware and better trained d-day would not have been in the success the success we we saw um i mean you go around normandy and there's statues all over the place featuring the 101st airborne featuring the 82nd airborne um and stuff like that. And the people still talk very highly of those soldiers because for a lot of them, 
they knew that it was if it wasn't for um the men and women that served in world war ii they probably still be speaking german yeah um, so i think that's really why and, and you know th there are certain patches that stick out um that again because of like everybody knows the first calf patch well mostly do you know the big um it's like a arrowhead big yellow with a horse and a stripe down the yeah going going catty corner people know that patch um people are familiar with the 10th mountain patch because it you know it's the only patch that has the mountain tab on it um but then like you see other patches and people are like what unit is that yeah um but when you're you, you know i'll never forget um when i was in iraq in those six you know i got several combat patches i can i can trade out and wear um but i always wore my 101st patch everywhere and um you know because for me it was a mark of distinction um and plus too like when you when you would see someone else with another, with another 101st combat patch it didn't, it didn't matter what unit you were in you go talk to shit with them again it's like smoking cigars like i see you <laughs> you know you and i could be crossing each other you know just sitting somewhere and then i see you like hey man how you doing you know it's, it's the same thing yeah and um it really translates beyond that time in the service and i think you know people see you know the history books american history books are filled with those especially those two units um you know just being part of that bigger thing um, was amazing. Yeah, uh, you you speaking about Normandy? Um, actually, my my last episode uh, was uh, I got the I got the privilege to talk to, and it was out of complete randomness that this got put together. But uh, one of my one of the things that I wanted to do for a while was talk to somebody that was in World War Two. And uh, through through disc golf random randomness, <laughs> um, I was able to sit down and talk to a first wave Normandy World War II Ooh. vet uh, and have a conversation with them, and it was it was pretty amazing. Like, I mean, we we didn't really talk that much about D Day, but it was just awesome to sit there and talk to this man about the experience that you know even leading up to it and afterwards and his life after um and you know i i thought it was perfect when chuck told me about you it was like oh that's fucking awesome because i i i, I like talking about this shit i i didn't experience it myself um you know as i alluded to earlier uh when I visited Fort Bragg, I was in the delayed entry program. I was supposed to go to the army, but uh, I missed my girlfriend too much. And I fucking dropped out. <laughs> I, I, I dropped out of high school for the second time, which voided the, the enlistment. Yeah. Um, you know, go me, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's, I, you know, I, I've got an interest in it and I, I guess I, I don't know. Uh, did I, did I miss out on the experience or, uh, you know, I, there, there's a little bit of guilt there in me, but at the same time, yeah. it's like, I, I, I like learning about it. I like hearing the, hearing the experiences from others, uh, because 
that's something that, that you know, personally, I, I did miss out on it, whether it be good or bad. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those experiences that I was looking forward to, uh, but I kind of screwed myself on it because I was young and dumb and, you know, and that's, that's one thing that, again, because my son's getting to that age now where he's looking for the next evolution of his life, you know, um, people often think that, you know, because I'm a veteran, I'm going to push my kids to the military. And, you know, I told them both, I'm like, do what you do is best, you know, what you feel is best, but just be a successful part of the community. Um, you know, the, I think we all are put on different paths. Um, it's often for some of us that includes being in, being in the military for others, you know, it's going to trade school and, and, you know, learning a craft or going to college and getting a, you know, getting a higher education. Um, or being a fuck up and operating a crane, hey, you know, whatever. <laughs> but again, it, it's the it's the path that you laid in front of you, and as long as you're giving something back to the community, you know, like you might, you, I don't know how you see your podcast, but like this podcast, you're giving somebody like myself the opportunity to to share ideas, thoughts, and things that your listeners may never have heard of, you know. I don't know. I mean, heck, it, even if like there's one veteran listening right now, it's like, man, I've been there, you know, like, you know, I can go on this on the sob story. Of, yeah. You know, when I first got out, um, I battled alcoholism for two years. Um, it's why I rarely drink. Um, I'll have like one or two beers. And I'm good. Um, you know, I, I could talk, you know, I can go that, down that dark path. Um, but then, you know, you see me now, um, you know, I, I have a successful job. Um, I'm just buying a house. Um, I'm in a very good relationship with my current, with, with my wife. I hate, I hate the phrase current wife. It sounds yeah. like you're waiting for the ball to drop, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a current <laughs> wife. Um, but you know, like, like you know, and, and if there is that veteran listening to this who may be in that dark spot, you're giving me the opportunity to hopefully lift him or her up out of that spot. And, and man, I can't tell you like, how you know that could just change somebody's life you know like I, you know i'm not trying to get on the, not, not trying to get sobby or anything but truly that is what you're doing if you think about it um you know yeah we're just two guys bullshitting right now and talking cigars and dogs and combat stories and all other stuff but like i said earlier for veterans we all have the same story um it's just time, place, and situation that changes. So that's like when you, when you, when you mentioned that earlier, it's like, that. you know, I've, I've never thought of it that way, you know, but after you, after you talked about it, it's like, God, that's, that's, I, I could definitely see how that makes sense. Yeah. You know, uh, different time, different place, same experience, you know, at, at least to a degree. Yeah. Um, and that's, that, that's and, crazy and kind of and kind of circling it back to the cigars you know like we all have shorter um journeys with our cigars but we all have like we could all have the same the same story like you like you know if you have a stick that's really good you're going to recommend it to your friends and say hey have you tried this stick again whatever um like a prime example, like when, when uh, Rocky Patel came out with the number six two years ago, 
um, I jumped, I was on that bandwagon. I, I love the number six. I still do. It's a really good smoke. If you haven't had one, try it out. Um, but you know, we, we share this journey of cigars. Um, like when you talk, when you were talking to me the other, the other day and saying, Hey, you know, what are you smoking? And I'm like, Oh, I'm smoking this, this gatekeeper. And here you are having your gatekeeper now. Um, military service is just like that, you know, where we have like this joint, like joint experience and it may be different, you know, like when I talk, the one thing that I've seen amongst veterans, um, you know, it's interesting when you talk about PTSD and veterans is because like you and I could be serving together, being the exact same time at the exact same situation and come out 180 degrees different. Yeah. Um, you know, I know guys that I served with that saw much more tragic stuff than I did um, who don't, who seem to be fine, who seem to adjust it. Okay. Um, I have other people that didn't see jack shit and claim PTSD. Um, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, but again, it's that shared, it's that shared experience. And, and when you look at it from a cigar standpoint, um, you know, I like talking with people that have been, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to, I don't want to sound bad. I like people that have been to talk to people who have been doing it longer because then you learn from them, you know, and as a vet, um, you know, I've been out since, I've been out since 2008. So I'm going on what, 12 years being out. So when a younger veteran who's just transitioning out gets out, I have no problem saying, okay, you know, where do you need help? You know, for, cause for, you know, for a lot of veterans, we struggle in finding employment. Um, some veterans get out and think, oh, you know, I got a veteran on my, my resume. I'm immediately going to get six figures in the corner office on the high floor and, you know, be set. Um, that's not often the case. Now, uh, obviously for certain MOSs, you're going to have better chances. Uh, is that like if, you, if you've got a... Um, if you've got like a in-line job in the service and you come out, uh, is it still harder to find a job in that line? Or are we talking like uh, general, general infantry thinking that they're going to get out and be like in a six figure job? The, the, it, I think it's, MOS agnostic, really. I mean, yeah, there yeah. are some there are some MOSs that translate very nicely. Um, communications, one of them. Um, you know, within within the twenty five series MOSs, there's computer repair, there's network repair, um, and stuff like that. So yeah, finding jobs in IT is easy. Um, you know that that's where that's the field I'm in. But when I got out, I knew my IT skills were pretty decent. I, th I still think they are. Uh, hopefully my employer still does and checks keep coming. <laughs> but, um, you know, the one thing that I knew that I was lacking was how to speak business. You know, because in the military, I can say to you, do this and you're going to do it because yeah. I outrank you. Yeah. And if you don't do it, well, we'll have another conversation. You can't do that in the civilian sector. You got to, you got to, you got to learn how to, how to speak. So, you know, I, I stepped back 
and I'm like, okay, well, I'm I'm going to get a help desk job now for um, IT professionals. A help desk is like ground zero. Like that's where you sharpen your teeth, and you know, you you spend a few months or a year or two in that trench, and then you move up the ladder. Dealing with um, people like me who have to right, restart like, their computer because there's a button pushed down on their <laughs> keyboard. Have you tried turning it off and on again? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and, and you build yourself up from there. Now, the one thing that, that I find interesting is I've, talk, I've talked to several veterans who are combat MOSs, whether it's infantry or whatever, and I find themselves, I find them sometimes sell, selling themselves short because they're like, oh, I was just an infantryman or I was just a mortarman or whatever the MOS was. Um, but they, they're, rather than peeling back the, the blinders and seeing the bigger picture, that's what they're focused on. Oh, I was just this. But then you start talking to them. You know, you got small, you got small team to medium team leadership. You have um, all the different schools you've gone through while you were in the service, you know, and a lot of that speaks volumes. Um, the other thing I find interesting that veterans kind of sell, like do wrong, uh, when it comes to writing the resumes and I've seen this firsthand, um, I was helping this young veteran out a few years ago on his resume at the bottom, he listed all of his military awards. And it's not that civilians don't appreciate or care that you served, but civilians don't understand like if I tell you I got an Arcom with four oak leaf clusters, you're like, all right, cool. I yeah. got this new I got this new humidor, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> woohoo. Um, but um, you know, I I I sat that I sat down that young that young veteran, and there's a form. It's called a DA six three eight or Department of the Army Form six three eight. Um, and this form is what your your superiors fill out to say, okay, I believe you deserve this award because of these reasons, right? Whatever those reasons are. Um, and I told this young, this young veteran, I was like, give me your 638s. Because what we're going to do is we're going to look at seeing why you got those awards. Because if you did something to save time, money, expense, now we're talking business. Now yeah. we're talking return of investment. We're talking about why you're such a good fit for that position. Not, I got four RCOMs, three AAMs. I got a, a Korean Defense Service medal. I got an Iraq campaign medal with four campaign stars, blah, blah, blah. Nobody's no. going to understand that no one, unless yeah. they've, they've been there. I mean, they look beautiful on my wall over my shoulder here. <laughs> That's about it. You know, and when you, when you get that veteran thinking that way, you know, you will find yourself being more successful, um, you know, and, and into the, into the veteran that's thinking, Oh, I'm just going to get out and say, I'm a vet. Yay. Give me that corner office and six figures. Well, shit. You wouldn't think that you wouldn't think that many people would think that way being a vet with, it's, with I mean, all the negative publicity that, you know, the way the country treats vets is yeah. right now, you know, like, Oh, Hey, well, Walmart's going to give me a job. Great. Yeah. Uh, or oh, that's what, you know, and, and unfortunately for some veterans, that's what they think because of whatever they went through in the service or whatever. Some of them think that's only the job they're going to get. Oh, I'm, I'm going to get out and be a flipping hamburgers again. You know, um, you know, I'm in, it's interesting. You're asking about uh, missing out on service. You know, one of the things that I'm kind of, um, one of the ideas that I like that's been kicked around is the idea of, um, mandatory service. Uh, a lot of countries have it. 
mandatory you got to serve two years and and you can either stay or get out whatever you want to do that's i i personally you know and i'm i'm the worst example of it but i i personally love the idea of that you're actually Um, the perfect example because think about this you give mandatory service and if a person you know and you know you hinge a bunch of things on it like if you want federal assistance on your school loans you got to serve or whatever you know yeah but what you're doing is you don't give them the opportunity to be every mos like it's not like an automatic door to be an 11 bravo or infantryman what you do is you say okay if you're going to do select if you're going to do mandatory service here's your mos's and you give them trade mos's like welder builder commo something that if they do two years and bounce okay i have pretty decent training i mean my yeah. military my military training it's, was halfway decent it's good enough for the government right you well, know that's not saying much <laughs> look at the presidential race good enough for government uh, um, well, yeah yeah uh, God, if that's, if that's, if, if those are if those are the best two we got in this country god help us all and and, and you know you, you could have said the same with the last election too oh you can say you about know, every election going back yeah. to freaking whatever yeah exactly. but no um but you give them that opportunity to learn that class, you know, to learn that. And, and, you know, I know you're a crane operator. Think about where you'd be if you did that for two years and then you got out and you found that, you know, how much easier it would be to find a job doing that rather than having these kids. Cause again, prime example is myself. When I got out, when I graduated high school, I, I was depth. I was in the late entry program already, but like leading up to my senior year, Man, I, I had like five different things I wanted to do after high school. Um, obviously, I ended up going to the military, but you know, like you think back to that time in your life, and my son's again, I'm seeing it in my son's eyes. You know, he's hitting that wall right now. Like, what the fuck? Where do I go next? Yeah. Um, or you look at these lower income families um, where, you know, because of the different circumstances, their future's limited because of a b c d whatever but you give them this opportunity to serve for two years you give them a trade and if they get out and they, they come, again well i know i know welding makes decent money they, they get out they become a welder and they start changing they, they stop that circle of poverty yeah uh, and that's where people really start getting to rub the wrong way because they're like oh we well, are targeting minorities and this you know under under underprivileged underserviced communities I'm like, but i mean but at you got to do far as, yeah as far as what like what i'm getting out of it is uh you know you take away that underprivileged aspect because you're going you're getting training yeah. you're, you're taking that underprivileged away and giving an opportunity instead of you know, the, the worst case scenario. Yeah. So, I mean, you get three hots in a cot. I mean, the food ain't always the best, but it's food. Well, uh, I mean, not even that, but I mean, just the experience alone, yeah. you know, like, like, like you're talking about, like if, if you go in, uh, eat what, well, if, if I remember correctly, it was 95 Bravo, um, where, cause that's, I, I was supposed to go MP and trust me, I, I heard all the time. You can't spell wimp without MP <laughs> um, or bump. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, no, no man, no matter what, like, even if you're, even if you're in the mess hall or, or anything, like you still have that experience that you could take after that two years, if you decide not to continue. Yeah. So what one interesting story I'll tell you is, so 
uh, I got married to my current, my, again, I hate that phrase, current wife. Yeah. I, I got married two years ago. Um, we just had our, our two year anniversary back in the beginning of August. I, I think we're and pretty close. Like mine, mine was uh, June 30th. Two mine, years was ago. Au- mine was August 4th. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, so, um, hey, we're, we're we're right in line. I, boom! I'm, I'm turning forty right after Christmas. Uh, you know, where where are we at there? Uh, forty October twelfth. Uh, <laughs> uh, my my son turns five October sixteenth. So there you go. We're we're lining up here. We're um, but no, when when you look at it like like leading up to that, you know, my wife and I were looking at our finances and looking at, you know, let's face it, weddings. Men are there for one reason, one reason only. Yep. Just stand there, and so, that's it. Um, you know, my bachelor, it was funny, uh, the night before my wedding, uh, we got married up in a little uh, park uh, just north of Pittsburgh co- called Conneaut Lake, um, which if you're in this area you haven't been to Conneaut, check it out. Um, but my, my one friend, Gary, the guy I'm going camping with this weekend, um, he, he's the one that really got me in the cigars a couple years ago. And um, when we went for my bachelor party, uh, we went to Burn on the North Shore, uh, Rocky Patel's Lounge. Yeah. We smoked cigars all day. But then he handed me a big payback. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. It's Is that eight the, like, by, the, the, eight, the eight by like 88? 90? Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Normous. <laughs> he gives me one of these things. Does, does so, it taste like shit? So here's what I'll tell you. I smoked that thing for four hours. Jesus Christ. And was like halfway through it. I gave up after that. So, so it's a it's it's an eight by eighty eight that takes eight hours to smoke. Pretty much, it's a good it's a good camp cigar. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a perfect it's a perfect camp cigar, man. Like when you know you can just wake up at eight o'clock in the morning, light up, and just sit by the couch. You know, sit by no, the that's, fire. That that's that that seems like more of a chore than an enjoyment. Right. Yeah. After four hours, man, I was done with it. Yeah. But like that's what you know at the wedding. That's what we did. You know, we, I, I had some cigars, we drank, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, the guys, you know, leading up to the wedding, I was looking at what my wife wanted and um, to do for the wedding. And we looked at finances like, okay, we can, we can swing this. We can do this, you know, and, and I'm really big on not going into debt for things. Cause I just, you know, I don't want to burden my credit. Yeah. But um, so I took a, I took up a job working at the restaurant she works at and i i so i worked i worked two jobs um and thankfully because of that i paid off my wedding in cash um it wasn't easy something that very few people could say yep but like you know i walked up to the wedding the day of the wedding with i think it was i only had about eight or nine grand left in in bills i was like how much you need here get on my face how much you know (laughs) um but through that, I met this kid who enlisted right after, uh, right after I left that job. And then he got out about a year or so ago. And, you know, he's a prime example of this whole idea of giving direction, purpose, and motivation to somebody who might need it. You know, he, he told me straight up, he's like, look, man, I'm enlisting because I don't want to be a line cook the rest of my life but I have no idea what, like, he's like, I didn't go to college. I didn't, you know, just that the other and full disclosure, I didn't go to college either. I don't have a yeah. degree or anything. Um, but he, he enlisted and, you know, I've been kind of like mentoring him because I had 
mentors helped me out. You know, when I first got out in 08, um, I wrote up a resume. I thought I was the shit. I'm like, man, this resume is going to get me a good job. Um, and it was right around, it was the end of the year, 2008, like December, January timeframe. And I put my resume on Monster and Indeed and all those job boards. And uh, I got a phone call right around Christmas time from this gentleman who was like, hey, man, I saw your resume online. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but he told me, he was like, hey, um, you know, after Christmas, let's get together. So I went to his office like a, a day or two after Christmas and we get talking. He tells me, you know, he served in the Marine Corps and this, that, the other. Um, and he went through my resume, like my old high school teacher and his red pen and, you know, might as well a big old F across the dang thing. Um, but then he helped me rewrite it. And then my revised resume was online for two weeks and I had a job offer. Yeah. You know, and, and when you talk about this idea of um, mandatory service, that's the bigger picture, not, oh, you're targeting le less advantaged people or minorities or whatever, because we all need that. You know, we could all use that kick in the ass. Um, shoot, even as adults, I mean, as a 40 year old man, there's sometimes I need a kick in the ass. And oh, my yeah, wife is normally sure. the like, one. All the time I need it. Yeah, I mean, nine times out of ten, it's my wife's kicking me in the ass, but whatever. Um, but we always need that direction. And I think really when I look at how I function today, there's so much in the military, both that you can see and not see. Like, I mean, you ask me to spell something, and I'm like, Alpha, Papa, Papa, Lima, Echo, <laughs> right? Like, that's just that. Um, or, I, you know, all, all of my clocks, at least my watch and the, the clocks I look at, are all 24 hour time clock. Um, not only because of the military, but in IT, we all work off of 24 hour, you know, at least my systems all work off 24 hour clock. Um, but then there's other things like my wife hates the fact that I cannot go a day without making the bed. Cause in yeah. the military, if you didn't make your bed, your, your, your cock got tossed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, those pictures are basic training. Those are legit. If, if you're 17 or 18 years old, listening to a 21 and over podcast, whatever. But if you're someone that's looking and going in the server and you're looking at these pictures of these drill sergeants or drill instructors tossing beds, that still happens. Um, but like my wife, hates, she goes, you don't have to make the bed today. We're not going in. I'm like, yes, I do. Um, I keep my hair short because even though I grow my beard out, if my hair gets too long, I still hear my first sergeant's voice in my head saying, Keen, get a haircut. Keen, get a haircut. Right? Because in the military, every two weeks, I was getting a haircut. And as a civilian, every two weeks, I'm getting my haircut. <laughs> and I, um, I, when, when it comes to haircuts, like my, my haircut, I get once a year. <laughs> uh, I, I let it grow. I, I would cringe. <laughs> no, that's, oh, trust me. I, trust me. Like from this point on, like from, from now until March, I cringe because I, <laughs> I've always hated my hair. But uh, let's see, 10 and a half years ago now, I started doing St. Baldrick's and so uh, it's raising money for childhood cancer research mm -hmm. and, you know, shave your head uh, kind of like a cancer walk, just lazy and you don't have to walk and right. you just shave Perfect. your head. Yeah. Sit so back, smoke a cigar and you're raising, you're raising awareness. Boom. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I shave my head once a year and um, raise money for childhood cancer research. And I, I look like, I 
I don't know. If I had my hair picked out right now, I'd be, I'd, I'd look a lot more like Bob Ross. Uh, but like at, at the end of the year, when I've got the full year of growth, it's like, I'm spitting image of Bob, Bob Ross. <laughs> and I could, if I, if I had a, if I had a paint palette and a canvas in millennial happy trees. Yeah. In, in, in millennial park in Chicago, I could probably fucking make a killing. But, um, That's awesome. And, and again, going back to the cigar community, uh, this past year, um, St. Baldrick's events was, was canceled and it was like my, my shave date, the, the event that I was supposed to attend was the day after Ristafari, which is, um, JSK, Jessam Kral Cigars. Like it's his annual party, his annual cigar event. And my event got canceled. And like 10 minutes after I got the email that my event was canceled, uh, Risty asked me, he said, Hey, if I donate a hundred dollars, can we shave your head tonight? It's like fucking a, yes, we can. <laughs> so, uh, and at that point I raised just over $2,000. Good for you. Before the event, after the event, I was just under $4,000. That's awesome. So in, in a matter of about a half hour, the cigar community, the JSK, Jessam Crowell event, the cigar community raised $1,944 to, awesome. to some asshole with an afro <laughs> for, for childhood cancer. Going research. to good cause though. Yeah. Oh, for, for sure. But, and again, and again, it, that all links back to what we said earlier about the, you know, the cigar community, you know, I have yet to run into a true asshole yeah. in a lounge. I mean, again, yes, those people are out there. I'm sure there's somebody in a cigar lounge listening to this podcast that is looking at somebody else saying, that guy's an asshole. Yeah. That that guy, an asshole. I, I, I'm going to stay on this side because that guy's over there. <laughs> right. Uh, but but, but the, the, the key point there is that even though I'm saying I'm staying over here because that asshole is over there, there's still no conflicts. Right. You're not you in know? their face. You're not yelling. Yeah. You're not. You're not. I mean, you, you might be looking at them kind of funny because they're smoking their third acid, but, you know, <laughs> sorry for the acid smokers. I just, I mean, I have one or two and I'm not a big fan. Um, hey, but no. You know, that, that's, that's where I started. Hey, well, I, 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 technically I started with like Swisher Sweets and shit, but. You well, know, at, least the, you, the, at least you grew up from there. Yeah. The, the, the general progression from the average cigar smoker is, you know, something infused to something good. So, yeah. And I think, you know, and again, it goes back to the community of, you know, it doesn't matter what you're smoking, you know, like, I mean, I, you know, one, one of my, one of my good morning cigars uh, is a, is a tobacco from Drew Estate. Yeah. You know, you grab one of the, like, I'm going to grab a few t tomorrow for I head up to camp for Saturday morning because I'll light one up, brew my coffee and I'll sit by the fire and just be happier than a pig and shit. I'll tell you what, that's, that's, that's one thing that I've, been growing more and more fond of lately is uh the you know couple shots of espresso and a cigar and that's just lovely <laughs> i guess well let me, uh, let me let me ask you this and turn the tables a little bit on you do you find yourself leaning more towards like a maduro or a darker wrapper cigar after you drink coffee it depends because um, i do yeah like I'm the, I'm the same way if, if i have like today, I went down to the cigar lounge uh, and, and worked from there. 
just to give myself a break from my, my home office, you know, and I saw the Starbucks and I found myself, you know, I, I, I picked up uh, an M by um, Macanudo. Macanudo. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, how, how, a, how is that? How is that by the way? Because I, I know that's their first like infused. So it, it's um, infused. It is infused. Um, what I like about it, especially as a first cigar, because what I don't want to do is I don't want to d- jump right to like a Cameroon or something heavy as a first cigar. Yeah. Like I'm not going to jump right to like, I, w- I, I, I wouldn't do a gatekeeper as a first cigar. At least I wouldn't. No. Uh, or a Christopher, you know, but what I, what I like about the M's is, um, and we were talking about this earlier. I'm not one of those guys who say, Oh, I, I'm picking up, you know, taste of tahitian vanilla over right Madagascar vanilla right like i mean it, 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 you know if there's a listener to this podcast that can do that more power to you i wish I, I could do that but you know i can taste like oh this one's a little more earthy a little more woodsy yeah or whatever but what, but what i like about the m from macanudo is like it's that nice and it, it, and tobacco's kind of the same way for me it's that nice middle ground between an infused like like an acid level infused which i think you know if you're looking at a scale of one to ten acids are like a 20 on how much infusion there is um compared to like a normal cigar or like a connecticut um which again i think a lot of people start off with connecticut's as their first cigars um, i know when i'm at the cigar lounge and there's someone that comes in and asks for a recommendation for a first cigar or you know a girlfriend or a fiance or a wife comes in saying hey i'm looking to buy a cigar for my husband well, what does he smoke? Well, I don't know. Well, start with a Connecticut. But the Macanudo, the M by Macanudo, um, really sits in that sweet spot between like infused and a regular or non-infused cigar. Well, that's it's like a- with the with the with the tobacco. Like that, I think I think you're right with the tobacco being kind of like the middle ground where it's it's not overpowering yet it's it's still enjoyable because that's i out of out of infused cigars that i've smoked granted it's very few very far between uh i think i've had the best with the uh, you know the best experiences with with those tobacks mm-hmm. probably because i i got away from the the acids and all that shit yeah um, and again there's nothing there's, there's nothing wrong with with infused cigars no um you know, I, I mean, Gary's wife, you know, that's all she smokes. Um, my wife doesn't smoke, but, um, you know, I'll keep her around. There, there's, there's a reason that acids are the number one brand. Yeah. You know, a lot of people smoke infused cigars and I've got nothing against them. It's just well, not for me. Yeah. And on, on the flip side of that, I think it's funny when you talk to some people and, you know, again, I'm not on a cigar aficionado. I know the brands I smoke, um, but you talk to some people and they're like, "Oh, I smoke Cubans." Oh, that's that's my favorite. That's, uh, which one? Yeah, which, which I smoke Cubans. No, so when when I, when I started at the mill, I started at the mill. Uh, it'll be uh, two years in a week and a half. Uh, but I heard this other guy smoke cigars going back to the conversation earlier where, Oh, Hey, you smoke cigars. Oh, what do you smoke? You know? Right. <laughs> um, I was like, Oh yeah. You know what, what do you like? He's like, Oh, I only smoke Cubans. I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. And there were other people around and they started laughing. And uh, he's like, what? I was like, 
No, just there's there's a lot of good cigars out there. Like you're really missing out if you only smoke Cubans. Yeah. And you know, air quotes there. Um, but uh, he's like, oh well, I got I got a I got a buddy that's in the military, and you know, he he always picks me up a box of Cubans whenever he's overseas, and it's like, yeah, I you just lost all credibility whatsoever. <laughs> with I that was statement. A box blasting you yeah <laughs> it, it, well no i'm sorry he didn't say military he said special forces it's like, uh, mm. like all right yeah i i don't believe a fucking thing you say now so call but, you know, player one has entered the game yeah exactly <laughs> but it's and and i always have the same like the same answer for everyone who's like oh i only smoke cubans it's like well why yeah. Like, oh, well, that's the best. Well, not necessarily. Like, no. if, if you haven't smoked anything else, how do you know? Like, well, there, it, there's such a broad variety of flavors to be had. Yeah. Like, and, and, and again, that's, and that's another thing I enjoy about, the, about smoking cigars is there's always something new to try. Yeah. You know? And there's something at every price point. You know, it, it cracks me up when I'm sitting at the lounge and somebody, it, it, it never fails. Someone comes walking in, they're like, I'm looking for a, a decent cigar at like four bucks. Can you find a good $4 cigar? Yes. But you might have a better, a better experience with a, a six or a seven or an $8 cigar. It's again, back to the earlier conversation with the, the friend that was looking for a cigar and whiskey for a boyfriend. It's yeah. like, look like, you know, if, if he smokes acids, you know, try to find, you know, this one, uh, if you want to get them something, something special that's not infused, it's like, you know, cause she had a, she's like, you know, yeah, I'll spend like 20, $30 on a cigar. And I know the, the cigar always looks lighter than darker. And I was like, look, if, if you go to the shop and find the Davidoffs, it's like, you know, you're, you're going to spend $30 on the cigar. It's going to be you know, a more on the mild side and it's going to be a quality cigar. Now me, myself personally, I don't smoke too many Davidoffs because no. it's not my budget. Right. So, you know, that there's that, but, uh, I was like, well, if you want to, if you want to get him something that, you know, uh, if, if he actually is a cigar smoker and appreciates them, he's going to appreciate a Davidoff. Right. Well, yeah. it, it, well, it's funny. You, we were talking about Cubans earlier, and my wife and I went to Jamaica for our, our honeymoon, which was amazing. Um, and sand, we went through sandals and all that fun jazz. So it was all inclusive, and it was just a great week. And um, we had a butler with us. These two guys that were literally there to help us with any like the one day my wife forgot sunscreen at the in the in the room and they grabbed the sunscreen and bought down to us at the pool if we didn't do the pool. Um, truly amazing people, loved it down there. But um, I got talking to the butler and I was like, "Do you know where I can get a real Cuban cohiba? I want one." Oh, yeah, man, no problem, man. Response to everything. <laughs> no shit. The next day he comes up and he's like, here man. Sealed tariff tags, the whole nine yards. I open up the canister with the cigar in it. The label's perfect. So that bad boy sitting in my humidor, it's been sitting there for two years. And when my, we close on a house next week, that's the cigar I'm having. Yeah. Because that's when like I can. It, it, it wasn't. 
it wasn't in a glass top box, was it? No. All right, good. No, no, <laughs> it, it's it, it's a legit. I mean, the 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 holograms and I mean, yeah, yeah. it looks legit. I, I just it, had to be a smart ass there. Right. If it's not legit, I'm still gonna smoke it like it's legit. Yeah. I don't care. Um. But again, like that's like that to me, like closing on a house, the birth of a child, like something. Like, that's when I can justify like the Davinoff level of expense. But like, if I'm just going on a cigar lounge on a Wednesday to shoot the shit with the guys, I'll uh, I'll go to Christoph, every, every, Alex Bradley. You know? Every 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 once in a while, you need to do it though, right? Like, you, like I I was like my my friend, like I I actually stopped at her house on the way home from work today because she bought a jar of pickles from me, and I asked her, I was like, so did you end up getting them a, a cigar and whiskey? She's like, no, not yet. You know, the store I went to, you know, blah blah blah, and uh. She meant she's like, yeah, he's probably going to smoke it on his birthday or, you know, some special occasion. I said, no, like get him, get him a good cigar and tell him, look, if you're having a shitty day and you've got the time, relax, smoke the cigar, smoke the, smoke the special occasion cigar when it's not a special occasion and make that shitty day a special that much occasion. better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and she, she asked me, she's like, oh, well, you know, I was like, and she brought up wine. Uh, I was like, look, like, you know, you, you got all these bottles of wine that you don't want to open unless it's a special occasion. I said, where are you going to be at next week? Yeah. She said, what do you mean? I said, you know, unless that bottle is reserved for you and somebody else specifically, where are you going to be next week that that bottle of wine is going to fucking matter? Yeah. It's like, you, you don't know. So fucking enjoy it. She's like, you know what? Like, I think you just inspired me to open up a bottle of wine. I said, good, <laughs> go do it. Go fucking have at it. Like, enjoy it. Uh, I, I try to hold that mentality with cigars um, sometimes. Like, yeah. I, I, I'll go reach for a cigar. It's like, you know, I'm going to smoke this tonight. And I think, well, it's like, no, nah, I'm already kind of half in a bag, so I'm not going to enjoy it that much. I'll, I'll save it for later, you know. But that, that's about the only the only reservations that I have when it comes to that, like if I, if I get the hankering to, to smoke a, a special occasion cigar in quotes, um, I'm going to smoke it, you know, whether, yeah. whether it is a special occasion or I'm looking to make a shitty day, a special occasion. Yeah. And it's, it's been really interesting uh, over the last few months as we all been going through this pandemic together, like the enjoyment of cigars, you know, like I find myself going to the lounge more often right now because it does give me that alleviation of the stress. I mean, like when you look back at March and April, when we were all in the, the heat of it all, um, you know, business are shutting down. Uh, you know, unfortunately, some of those businesses are still shut down. Um, you know, when, when the cigar, when my, my local cigar lounge closed down, which was only over for like two months before, shutdown yeah um you know we all talk you know we all text him like hey man let us know what we can do to help you stay open and thankfully he stayed open he, he weathered the he weathered the storm but he texted he texted all of us like the locker members there's 24 locker members he texted us all the day that he decided to that he was going to reopen we went to yellow phase I looked at my wife and I was like, I'll see you tomorrow night at a, uh, I'm leaving because Jakarta is opening up at 11. Yeah. And all of like, we all showed up in droves. Good. Um, That's you know, and, and 
you know, when it comes in, and I, when it comes to getting cigars, you know, I, I'd rather get it from a local vendor like that than, you know, ordering online or whatever. Um, again, no, no big, you know, if, if, if you get your cigars from online, great, cool. Um, but you know, what we were talking shortly after the reopening about like how nice it was to have, you know, that sense of normal again, yeah. you know, just, just a bunch of guys sitting around. I mean, in cigar smoking is inherently social distanced, right? Like yeah. you're not, I don't have anyone in my face but when I'm smoking a cigar, even if even if the lounge chair is like three feet apart, like when you're when you're sitting in a lounge chair, you're you're automatically six feet apart. So yeah, you know, because you know science says that's okay. So right, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, so, so it's just, but again, like it, it's been really cool to see people uh, coming to the lounge, but it's been also really cool to see how many people have gotten into cigar smoke i mean there's been days i sat down at the cigar lounge and again i'm i'll, I'll open it and i'll close it <laughs> oops <laughs> sounds like a good day it's a great day yeah um, i still get if my if my boss is listening i still get work done yeah. um which i do i got my laptop but you know all these people are like yeah you know i'm looking for something new to do and, and you hear all these people coming in and, and wanting to try to experience and talk with you know not just the owners but to those that are sitting there um, you know like our joint friend chuck i mean chuck is a walking effing encyclopedia of cigars chuck knows and and, and not just so cigars much. either like that's that is one dude i love talking to like when when i when i was like early on on this in this uh he was coming through on business so me him and another like buddy of ours you know we we recorded a show and god i i, I want to say that was like show 15 or somewhere around there and i think this makes i don't know like 77 78 somewhere around there and i don't do it regularly <laughs> like this is this is like three years ago or so like chuck was coming through town it's like oh hey you know come on by we'll have a cigar and like oh might as well record and right. uh like chuck chuck knows a lot about a lot of different stuff and yeah but, but like but, if if you haven't talked to him about mining yet like that's, oh my gosh that's that's definitely fascinating like just just like especially being from the midwest like in fucking corn country slash <laughs> chicago city uh it's it's really intriguing to hear about that industry and like how like how it's gone throughout the years yeah so well, what's what's really cool though like i was saying these people are coming into the cigar lounge just finding cigars or or, or find or finally figuring hey the world's on fire i might as well smoke while, I'm, while it's burning yeah. down around me um you know and, and so quickly they're coming you know you see him back and you see him again he's but what they're, they're all saying the same thing of like we want to support small business we want to you know help these smaller these smaller lounges out and you know in pittsburgh we're chock full of small little clubs i i love i love this the cigar community in pittsburgh and and i probably didn't even scratch the surface and uh, i i mean neither have i and i lived here um but you know the it's just been really cool to see how a simple thing as a cigar 
is helping alleviate people's stress and worry, you know, because again, yeah. like, you know, I, I, I count myself fortunate in that, thankfully, knock on this particle wood desk, um, <laughs> that I haven't been overly financially impacted by any of this. Um, yeah. You know, my, my employer has done very well to make sure that we've been taken care of while we keep the company going. Um, you know, through this pandemic, um, my wife bought a car. Um, I built a new computer. We're buying a house. You know, so I consider myself blessed and lucky in that because there's millions of other people that would trade anything I had to complain about would trade with me in a heartbeat. Yeah. Because, you know, they're, they're doing the opposite. They lost a house. They lost a car. You know, and my heart goes out to them. Um, but the 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 cigar community, especially you know, at the at the lounge I go to, and and I'm sure everywhere around the country, you know, it doesn't matter. Like we said earlier, it doesn't matter race, creed, religion, financial status, blue collar, white collar, whatever. It doesn't doesn't matter. What matters is, are you enjoying your smoke? Yeah. All right, hold that thought for just a minute. All right. Uh, that's a. Uh, I was about to piss myself. <laughs> so, that's I. I've been drinking like basically about a gallon of water at work every day, and um, yeah, it it tends to go through you later on in the evening. Right. So. Oh uh, on top of the beer and the whiskey. So, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, almost lost it. So sorry to cut you off. But oh, you're good. <laughs> you're good. So, but yeah, it just again like to kind of wrap this up because it is almost that witching hour for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I appreciate um the opportunity to join you for a little. Uh, chat. Too bad I couldn't smoke with you. I'm still living in my apartment where they don't allow smoking. Boo. Yeah. Uh, but so, come next week, I'll have my house. And I, 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 I was going to say, is, it, is that is that going to change with the house? Uh, yeah. So uh, it, it it was funny when my wife and I were looking at the house, uh, looking looking at homes. I told her I needed two things. I need an office again because I we're working from home to at least the end of the year. The company's already said that. And second, I need a big yard for my service dog, as well as a place I can put a fire pit. That'll be my smoke area. Yeah. I said, other than that, if you like it, my question to you will be, is it in the budget? If the answer is yes, that's the house we'll get. Yeah. Um, I also said, you know, having a garage would be nice because you know, Again, going back with the service dog, I, taking the dog with me everywhere I go. If it's raining outside, I try to, get, like, in the apartment, I have a garage, so it's kind of nice. Um, yes, I'm talking about you. Um, it's nice to have the garage, because I can load her up in the vehicle without her getting soaking wet. Yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, if we have a garage, that'd be awesome. Um, and I will say the house that, we, that we're buying was my first pick. It was, like, her second pick. Um, but we're both, you know, she she got a brand new kitchen. <laughs> um, so she's happy. Um, at least she says she's happy. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll have a nice little smoke, uh, a little nice little fire ring. I'll be able to sit outside and kind of um, enjoy it. Uh, I am going to look at um, 
taking a small part of the garage and putting like an elf an air filter or something inside because uh, there's electric so that I can have like a nice little indoor place because uh, again Pennsylvania winters aren't exactly yeah. the most conducive to smoking cigars that's what i was gonna say like do you have do you have a good exhaust system picked out for the office or like... uh i i haven't yet <laughs> um honestly it's, you know it we you know we, we put an offer on, we actually we, we put the offer we put the offer on the house back august 4th actually on our anniversary we went house hunting on our anniversary uh which i thought would give me a 30-year excuse not having to buy another present for her but she reminded <laughs> me that no i still her wedding wedding or anniversary presents like, yeah. but there's copper and wood and everything else in the house. Yeah. They're good, right? <laughs> nope. Um, so, it, you know, the last few weeks have just been getting, it, again, you know, buying a house and getting ready to move and everything else has just been crazy. Um, but I might look into like getting a, uh, a, a good ventilation system where I could smoke in the office and, and enjoy some sticks. Um, but the other, the other thing I told her that about the move that was non-negotiable was the understanding that I would still be going to the cigar lounge at least every Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Cause again, like it, you know, I think the one thing that really helps at least our marriage um, is that we each have like our own thing, our own way to decompress. Um, so what's, what's hers? You know, she really likes to, hers is really uh, hanging out with her sister. Uh, her and her sister are really close. Um, her sister lives in West Virginia, so she's a couple hours away, so you don't get to hang out as much now as they used to. Um, but she also loves books. And the house we were buying, um, as you walk in, um, there's a, like a little, I don't know if you want to call it, like a, like a, like a area, for lack of a better term, that I'm going to turn into her, like her reading nook. I'm going to buy her a nice little lounge chair and put up her library of books. Good. Um, because I figure that makes her happy because when I'm watching hockey, she can read a book. <laughs> so so who, do you, who, do you, who do you think is going to take the cup? I don't know. This, this year has been – obvious, for, for obvious reasons, this year has been uh, fucking weird. Yeah, but what, what's been interesting about the Stanley Cup is the amount of te- like lower seed teams that have been knocking out upper seed. Yeah. Like – the joke I was having some of my friends, like I'm, I'm calling it the loot, like not the downgrade, the Stanley cup, cause it's the Stanley cup, but it's almost yeah. like the loser cup this year. <laughs> you know, I mean, there was a chance early on when, um, when the Rangers got selected uh, in the lottery to have the first round draft pick, we could have had a Stanley cup champion with the first round draft pick. Yeah. You know, um, and then, you know, people had their, their eye on Vegas and, well, you know, you know, it when is. it, when it comes to Vegas, I got to say, uh, I was working midnights sometime in January and I threw a $5 bet down for the Dallas stars to win it all. And that $5 could potentially turn into $75 here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So I mean, and, and, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Actually, I got to, like, I, I know the Islanders and uh, who the hell are the uh, Tampa Bay are playing now? If they're yep, not right now, yet. let's see. Uh, one one uh, in the third. Yep. All right. So yeah, that's uh, your sports talk on a cigar lounge. Yeah. <laughs> Eight, 18 and a half to go in the third. 
but yeah, so I, I'm I'm pulling for the stars. I'm I'm a Blackhawks fan. Um, yeah, hey, <laughs> no, we had a good run. We had we a good, did. and uh, we had a, a a rather unlikely yet unsuccessful run uh, in this shenanigans of a playoff that that we had this year. But I will I will say, um, you know, one last thought was talk about the normalcy coming coming through this pandemic. There was just something so nice about going to the cigar lounge and watching the 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 qualifying rounds of the hockey because you know it's it literally all day hockey. Like for a hockey fan, those two weeks were amazing. Yeah, turn the TV on at noon, turn the TV off at midnight, and all you watch NHL. Um, yeah. But then you go to the cigar lounge and you grab that you know that Kristoff or whatever stick out of the out of the box and just. <laughs> you know like like the, the the stress from work just melts away you know the honey the do list just that can wait a minute yeah we have this let me have my two stick my 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 two cigars yeah uh, well it, and, it, and it was funny i was talking to chuck um and he was telling me how he measures um he started measuring his honey to do list in cigars like his <laughs> wife will say hey can you do this and how long will it take and he's like yes yeah, it's about two cigars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that and that that's another beauty about cigars. Like, oh gee, like like my wife, like I tell her I'm gonna go smoke a cigar. She's like, Oh, I'll see you in two hours. It's like, well, it it really depends. Like, am I am I smoking a, a cracker crumb or am I smoking a fucking T fifty two or you know what you know so if I if I tell her I'm gonna go smoke uh, a cigar, like in her head, I've automatically got two hours. You know, e- even though if I grab a short one, it's like, all right, yeah, there's going to be a 45 minute smoke. And, uh, you know, I've, I've bought myself two hours. Uh, mm-hmm. well, it's, inter- it, it's interesting too, because the cigar lounge that I go to, it's right outside one of the malls. And there's been so many guys that have come in to, to the cigar lounge. They're like, my wife's at the mall. <laughs> I got a good two hours. Yeah, <laughs> light it up. <laughs> you know, and again, going back to you know the relationship thing. You know, having having that ability. Oh yeah, like, drop your wife off, or you know, drop drop your daughter off, or drop your you know, go to the mall. Dad's at the cigar lounge. Call me when you're ready. You know, and you just come back to get. And again, it's just so stress mitigating oh yeah praise just sit back with that good cigar and just have that good puff and whew. <laughs> oh yeah but speaking of a uh, time my my watch started going off and i had my watch set for theater mode for three hours and here we are my watch is going off so it's been it's been over three hours since we started you got plenty of content yeah oh yeah no man it, it, this, this has been phenomenal um yeah. I'll be honest. Like I, I was, I was so much more looking forward to the military conversation more than the dog conversation. But after having it, like I'm a hundred percent flip flopped. Like <laughs> I, it, it's so fascinating to hear about that. Like, oh, because, it, it, because in, in the world of today where you've got to have your Chihuahua as a service pet, for no reason at all just because mm-hmm. you want it there uh to hear 
to hear the actual real reason behind having it, an actual service animal, it's, it's so much more gratifying to, to hear about that than. And that's, you know, the, I got into it a little bit with one of my former coworkers. Um, she was asking me how she can get what her, her one dog trained to be a service animal because it has anxiety. It has separation anxiety. And she wants to be able to take this dog everywhere she goes. And I'm like, that's not, that's not a good, you know, that's, that's not why we do this. Yeah. Um, you know, or like she was like, she was telling me this one time how she took her dog into giant Eagle, which is a grocery store yeah. out here. Um, Cause she was on her way back from the dog park and needed something from the grocery store. I'm like, that's, you know, you can't, you can't do that. Like, you can't go into a building, rant and rave if someone challenges you, and then continue to be an ass. That's that's a point I was going to bring up earlier. It's like, you know, the, the the people like that. It's like they get to pick and choose when they bring their animal. Yeah, but I mean, for like, for for people that actually need it, like you have to have it there all the time. Yeah, I mean, like, so uh, it's, like it's it's not out of convenience; it's out of necessity. So there you have it. Uh, check out the links in the show notes if you would like to look into anything that we talked about tonight. And thanks for listening. Again, check out theherfcast.com and find everything I've got there. And stogiebird.com. Use the code HERFCAST to save $5 on your orders. So, again, that's stogiebird.com. Use the code HERFCAST. Thanks for listening, everybody.